0: I've been trying to think of a way to open the show. And I came up with two as I was walking up here. One of which I had already thought about a while ago because recently, uh, Brock Yonke, uh, had posted some old episodes of, uh, or sports entertainment shrinks in the Slack chat that I listened to. And I wanted to steal Dan's, um, intro and, and just start the podcast out with saying this podcast is scheduled for one fall. Cause I like that one. Um, but tell me, should I go with that as being the new podcast opener or, Should I start opening the show with how many of y'all like sex? Which one do you think is better?
1: I'd probably say the latter is more fitting. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I'd probably say that one is more fitting.
0: (laughs) Okay, so how many of y'all like sex? Uh, Podcast has started out here. I was going to make different jokes about, like, we're going to talk about stupid different things. I was going to probably make a reference to, like, this episode just being all about Chris Statlander. um, (laughs) Because we do have a a big defender and fan of Chris. Of Chris Stantlander and for the first like four or five episodes of this show we seem to bring her up every fucking time um but more importantly I think we need to get into these bola matches right the first round of bola just got announced uh Quentin there are some big time no more importantly tonight we are here for a very special episode um we are this week the SCIDF we are the Scenic City Invitational Defense Force um and we are joined by Dylan Hales. Dylan, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing great. Uh, I just for the record, uh, I'm I, uh, not to not to score points here, but uh, definitely not an uh, a, somebody <laughs> in, in favor of the death of Rachel Corey or an advocate of caterpillars' involvement in her murder by the IDF. Uh, anyway, anyway, I'm excited okay. to be here uh, today, uh, and I think. We will probably have an interesting conversation. You know, I've talked to you guys privately about Scenic City a million times probably over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, my journey in with SCI has been so weird that I don't even know how to fully describe it because I don't know that it really has a parallel in contemporary independent wrestling. Uh, but... This year is like the first year where I really think that there's like an important story and things to be talked about that are behind the scenes about the process and about things that happened. And uh, this feels like the right forum to do it on because you guys, I think, are very thoughtful wrestling fans uh, and wrestling critics. And uh, one of the only like wrestling podcasts that I listen to regularly, (laughs) to be honest with you, not to knock anybody else. Uh, even I'm happy when I dis- to
0: keep that the, distinguished <laughs> um, kind of position in life. Thank you.
2: Even when I even when I disagree with you guys, I at least understand where your points are coming from, and they're thoughtful and interesting, which is really more than I can say for ninety percent of wrestling criticism these days. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to uh, to be, be badgered and badger back on this episode.
0: I'm excited for that. Quentin, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you probably, I'm going to just, you know, completely give you most of the podcast, honestly. Um, But I do have to open up. And I will say that, like, I do think that there is some, a little bit of, like, virtue signaling issues out there with this. I do think that, like, some people probably need to look in the mirror when they, like, make these crazy attacks to this specific situation to like ask themselves like the world has kind of changed and everyone in general's kind of position on sex work in general has shifted a lot since the story broke. But Dylan, I'm not even going to ask you a question. I'm just going to say one person's name, Brad Stutz.
2: Sure. Uh, Brad Stutz is a friend of mine. Uh, he, uh, has always been a friend of mine. Um, he, what the the whole controversy is kind of weird to me because he wasn't on the Scenic City shows. I mean, like that it, it it's kind like it's very very bizarre. He did do some commentary on the Crux Wrestling Show on Thursday, which is not. I mean, I I called a couple matches on that show actually very last second. Like as in, I showed up to the building thirty minutes before the show was set to start, and Kerry asked me if I would help with commentary assignments, and I said, sure, and then I I ended up calling a couple matches, but, um, you know, he actually wasn't on the Scenic City shows themselves, so I I thought that criticism was a little weird, uh, except for the fact that I think there are a certain degree, there's certain kinds of people that just want to get their 360 windmill jam in on Twitter and don't even know what the facts are. Uh, most of those people, I think, are projecting. By the way, and have probably have very scary skeletons in their closet. But that's a that's a sec- separate <laughs> discussion. <laughs> uh, but uh, re- regardless, you know, he's a friend of mine. He's always been a friend of mine. When the issue first, you know, when the story first broke, uh, and all that stuff went down. I guess it was maybe a year and a half ago, a little bit over a year and a half ago now. Um, When that first happened, you know, uh, I called him that night and I said, listen, man, I don't know the details of what happened, but uh, as your friend, uh, I just want to make sure you're okay, you know? And I I don't think he would mind me telling that story on the air. Uh, And in that moment, I really wasn't that concerned with what actually happened so much as it was I was afraid that he was going to hurt himself or something because of the way things had shaken down. Um... The sort of, it's not my place to talk about the sort of popular narrative that's out there uh, regarding the situation itself. And people can say, uh, say that it is my place because I'm publicly associated with them or whatever. And I, you know, I, I to a degree, I get why people feel that way. Uh, but it actually isn't my place. Uh, what I will say is that um, I'm probably one of the very few people who has talked to people on all sides of this and talk to them at the very beginning of this, when this stuff first happened. And one thing that's very, very interesting <laughs> is, you know, in the early days of this story, of this alleged, uh, prostitution ring story or whatever with, with Brad Stutz, um, I think almost everybody just sort of assumed that there, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's gotta be some like serious truth to this. Right. Um, I think that was kind of the running assumption. And when I say everybody, I mean more or less everybody. Uh, people that are now sort of publicly friendly toward toward Brad or close with him, uh, are, are still associate with him, in the days, in the immediate aftermath, they were very much, you know, hey, you know, he did something and he deserved to be fired. And, you know, like... And what's interesting is the more those people found out about the story, the less that position... <laughs> Came to be held, and um, there's a, there's very good reason for that. Uh, now, uh, he he knows how I feel about this, so I have no problem saying this on a podcast. Um, I believe he should have been fired from CWF. I said that to I've said that to his face. Uh, I I said that to everybody I talked to in the situation, but I don't believe that these sort of like um, I don't believe the you know bottom line is. He could have and should have been fired from CWF because he was in bed with another person running running against CWF in the same town, using a lot of their same talent, uh, you know, uh, and, and that alone to me means you probably shouldn't be booking the other promotion, okay? I mean, like, I, I, that's, that's a territory thing. Uh, as far as the charge itself or the accusation— what's interesting about it is that the accusations never really been public um and i don't think that's unfair i think it's just been sort of a series of like hearsay or guesswork or uh x person said why and you know this is must be what happened and blah 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 and you know i think uh and again it's i i I am in a little bit of a tough situation because i don't want to speak for him nor do I want to totally absolve him in the sense that I think he would freely admit that himself that he made many mistakes and that he that he had, you know, uh, definitely exhibited behavior at various points that probably wasn't the best behavior. OK, uh, I think he'd admit that himself, um, but I'm not as I'm not a spokesman. And I yeah, if anybody expects me to be, that's outrageous just on the face of it. Uh, but what I would say is that these sort of like this, like rumor that he was helped trying to, or was in fact running a, a prostitution ring perhaps out of the CWF sportatorium. Uh, there's like, I, I, to my knowledge, and again, I've talked to all sides of this issue, uh, including some of the people uh, and the primary person who at one point was sort of pushing this sort of, you know, at least some aspect of this is being true, um, you know, and, and who also told me they'd provide proof. And uh, then when I asked, said they couldn't, which is pretty telling. <laughs> but um, I, I just don't think there's any evidence to support it. Um, you know, if, if there was evidence to support it, I, I would certainly, uh, you know, be the first person to say, hey, I'm wrong. Here's some evidence to support this claim. I just don't think there's any evidence to support it. Uh, you know, I mean, I get that people are going to believe what they want to believe. Once a narrative is out there, it doesn't matter. Um, there's, there's a ton of different aspects to that story that people I think have willfully ignored, you know, like, uh, like, but again, so so it's, it's really not my place to get into it. I was disappointed by some of the early reporting on the subject because it was, some of it was clearly wrong. Um, and, and frankly, in kind of embarrassing ways, uh, and not even necessarily in ways that would absolve Brad, by the way, but you know, the story was put out in such a way as to make CWF look as good as possible, uh, and make Stutzy look as bad as possible. Uh, where it, in fact, I think there are, there were very good reasons to believe that, um, that CWF made a lot of mistakes themselves. Uh, and, you know, they're sort of not feeling good about certain certain people that that Stutsy was in bed with, uh, not literally, but figuratively at the time, I think uh, is interesting considering the fact that they really didn't seem to have any problem taking his money until he decided to run another venue. But that's, you know, again, that's... There's, there's a. I've probably already said too much, to be honest. Um, I, and and I'll be the first person to say, it's entirely possible that there is another angle to this story that I don't know. Um, that there are aspects to this story that, uh, if I found out more information on, I would be like, oh man, that's bad. But, I, I have had very very candid discussions with all sorts of people up and down and to be to be perfectly blunt with you um, even even assuming that this was you know I one of the things that's really bothered me about this story is I think there's an implication that, 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 that's like, like it was like a actual sex trafficking ring right like he's right. like like Jeffrey Epstein has set up shop at the CWF Sportatorium or something and that that is so delusional that it that, that it honestly I question the sanity of anybody who ever believed that. Um, I think, uh, and and, you know, it, it, it actually is kind of embarrassing. I think that anybody actually believed that. Um, but again, the reality is that a lot of news and a lot of stories are about who gets the narrative out first. And there was a very, very calculated effort to get a narrative out first. Um, as I said, I think, Brad probably should have been fired from the perspective of just the fact that he was working with another company that was going to be running in another building in the same town at this point with a lot of the same talent. And that really puts his home promotion in a bad position. Um, but I also think they went looking for the best uh, reason that they thought would give them the best PR to, to fire him. Uh, and I believe that they settled on something that they believed they, they could they could push. Uh, I think it's possible that they even believed elements of it because of things that, that, uh, maybe they heard second or third hand, but I just don't, I don't, I never saw a lot of evidence for the, uh, sort the, I never saw a lot of evidence for the more advanced rumor. And I saw very little evidence, even for the sort of side rumors, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and I don't think I'm alone in that, by the way. I I, I think uh, it's worth noting that a lot of people came to this same conclusion once they started digging into the situation more and more, including a lot of people who I don't think are inclined to be, um, you know, uh, believe all men <laughs> types. So I, I there, it's a it's a very suspicious circumstance on his face. But realistically, uh, and I know this is like a super long preference and I'm already filibustering and we've not really even d- talked about anything yet. Realistically, Stutzy's my friend. He was at Scenic City. He he did help me some as just like a, a guy that bounced ideas off of and that we talked about some things and, and helped me in a tough situation that came about, uh, you know, uh, on night two. Uh, but he was not on the shows. So, you know, I don't, it's a, to me, it's a, it was even weird that this became an issue unless people believe that, you know, he should just be banned from attending wrestling shows, you know, which I mean, that's fine, I guess. Like if that's your belief, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody what to believe on a situation like that. It's like, it's tough for me because of my own politics. And Timothy, you know this, but it's like, if, if, if I held people to like, my standard of, of, of whatever, (laughs) like, you know, it's like, if, to me, if, you know, like, uh, and I realize this is controversial by any standard, but it's like, um, if you were like an enthusiastic, uh, voter for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, like, I, like that, I, that would be super problematic to me because it means you don't care about millions of people in the Middle East being slaughtered. So (laughs) I can't, like I can't, I, I I probably have a more divorced um, view of certain things than other people, and I admit that up front uh, because I have to, because otherwise I'd be like living in my room in a cave at all times and unable to interact with other humans. But uh, anyway, that's my very very long preface uh, addressing addressing the Stetsy situation.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm with you. If I held everyone to the same standard as myself, we would all everyone would be an anorexic volcel. You know what I mean? Like, like you wouldn't be allowed to eat food or ever have sex because, like, I have this weird standard for myself where it's like you're not allowed to do any of those things except for in very rigid, specific circumstances. So I get where you're coming from there. Um, I, I do say that you're obviously, you know, George isn't blind, you're blind. Um, I just watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last night. It was a great flick. I will recommend that for people, but uh, that's a line from that movie. People will get it. But... Um, You know, if you don't believe that Jeffrey Epstein had his hands in CWF, then you're just blind. I mean, there's—he may have not been—it may have not been out in the open. I I would even believe that Coach Gemini doesn't realize it. But Jeffrey Epstein's tentacles run so deep that he probably still has underlying control of CWF that nobody even realizes. Um, And my final point from the whole thing is—and it's kind of what I preface the whole thing with—is just to say that, like— whatever you know there is there's there's rules about sexual harassment which you definitely shouldn't do there's rules about conflicts of interest which is like why i totally agree with you that like maybe brad Stutz should have been let go from cwf but i do want to say that a lot of people out there who are pointing fingers right now super vitriolically need to remember that sex work is work and workers of the world need to unite and support each other so unless you believe that someone is propositioning someone to become a sex worker in a way that's coercive or forceful, which doesn't sound like to me the way that the rumors went or the way that the story went. If you're just propositioning someone to do sex work, then you acting as if that's a negative is just stigmatizing work and labor. So again, when it comes down to it, unless you truly believe that somehow they were involved in sex trafficking where they were, I don't know, forcing people or coercing people beyond their own personal will to commit acts that they were not, you know, open to and being compensated for, then what you're really doing is just saying that, like, the concept of any type of sex work is so disgusting and so basically deserving of, of stigma that being involved in it in any way um, means that you should be ostracized from an entire community, no matter what. And so just, like, I hope that some people... Stop and think about that because, you know, with the kind of the great the like kind of blindings or the the kind of like fuzzing of lines between, you know, black and white and create gray in wrestling with custom videos and all the stuff that's involved in that, like (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that you could call in pro wrestling sex labor. I mean, honestly. So if you really believe that all sex work is just disgusting, no matter what, no matter how involved or accepting the person doing the work is with what's happening. Um, then you might have to just stop watching wrestling in general. Um, Quentin, yeah. let's yeah, get into yeah. the actual wrestling.
1: Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> sure, we could do two hours of this.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm into it, you know.
1: Uh, but, um, Dylan, in the time that the Scenic City Invitational has been going on, this is, what, the fifth? Fifth running, or fourth, fifth yeah, or fourth running yeah. tournament? Yes. Yeah, and great. when it first started, um, like, I'll admit, when I, I was on Twitter, but I had not started doing anything in wrestling yet as far as podcasting and being involved and trying to let my voice be heard. In 2015, I go back then, and I just remember you pushing the Scenic City Invitational because you were just super excited to have something like that going on in your neck of the woods in your hometown, and you weren't as directly involved at that point. And as the years go on, you like you would you would admit that even by like 2016 it might not be like full-fledged like you're creative or booking by that point but your voice is definitely your, your voice is definitely heard 2017 2018 2019 or we are now things gradually increase to the point where you're um involved in various promotions your voice is heard in various promotions you've grown in such a way as to where you're not only like um not only booking or giving ideas but you're commentating and um even, re- even, re- even recommending talent in some, in some, in some, cases. When you, when scenic when the scenic city invitational comes back around this year, where you're so involved in many other things at this point, is the scenic city invitational still holding like a special place in your heart, or do you feel like you're being pulled in so many different directions nowadays?
2: That's a great question. Honestly, uh, so <sighs> one thing that has really happened is. Um, as wrestling has become my job and, uh, it, it my perspective on it is, a, is different in a lot of ways and not necessarily in the ways that you would think, right? Like, um, you know, you always, you t- like people always say things about how, oh, well, you know, you don't get this cause you're not in the business, blah, 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 blah. And I think nine out of 10 times that's crap actually. Uh but there are certain instances in which that's kind of true right like like I've listened to shows for example before like and, and again Timothy knows this cuz I've said it to him before but like I've listened to shows that he did with Pete in the past few years where it's like I'm listening to what they say and I'm agreeing with their with a lot of their criticisms but I'm thinking to myself but they don't have the context that I have so everything they're saying is totally valid except for the fact that it's not because of the real world stuff that was happening, you know, and it's, 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 it's really strange. That sort of effect is really strange, but in in a sense, the SCI will always be my baby. Um, Now I admit that particularly in the last year, I have had a super love hate relationship with all things scenic city. Um, you know, really in the last 18 months, I would say, uh, you know, we had a little bit of an upheaval at last year's Phoenix City Rumble that more or less resulted in um Josh Massey, uh, wrestler as a wrestler who's known as Ace Rockwell, um, no longer being a part of the team. He was actually really the brainchild of the entire thing. I mean, him and Scott. Together to a degree, but really it was Ace uh, in a, in in many ways who got the ball rolling even more than Scott in that first year in 2015. And um, I don't want to go into all the details of that. Like it's it is what it is. Um, most of it really doesn't even need to be public, to be honest. Um, it, it just it it a change needed to happen. Uh, but I feel like a lot of last year was solving so- some of the issues that had been created uh, in in the sort of um, in the sort of last few months that Josh was part of a team, not all of which were, were his fault. A lot of them are my fault or Scott's fault, by the way. Um, and uh, integrating Matt Griffin as sort of like a, a the, the third person now, um, you know, uh, officially, he's always been a part of the team, but not more in a producer role prior to to uh, after last year's Senior City Rumble. So, you know, for the last 18, 20 months, uh, it's, it's been really tough at times. Um, and it's not so much that it's a transition from being a fan to being involved and being involved in a bunch of other stuff, because, you know, I do commentary for action where I also, I hate the term, but I don't, like... I'm more or less an agent in action for lack of a better term as well. I don't, I don't, I hate that term, but I I don't know what else to call it. Um, I do commentary. Obviously it's up and I help books up. Um, that's not really a secret to anybody. Uh, you know, I work for IWTV. Uh, I do, uh, you know, I, I help with my dad shows, the making town shows. I'm basically the booker there. So I have a lot of stuff going on. Um, But at the end of the day, particularly the tournament itself is always going to hold a special place in my heart because that's really how I got in. And, you know, I got in almost against my will. I really didn't want to get in. It was a gradual sort of bizarre, almost courting process that took place where, you know, in 2015, I was just a fan in the front row who happened to be talking to Al Getz and Scott Hensley some, uh, you know. Uh, and, and that was sort of it. And then in 2016, I was talking to Al Getz, Scott, Hen- Scott, Hensley, and Josh Massey all regularly, uh, like all the time about the shows. And looking back in hindsight, I was more or less a member of the team in 2016. It just wasn't official. Uh, a lot of the stuff, you know, like I distinctly remember getting a text from Al Getz at like, uh, you know, midnight one night, Hey, how do you think people would respond if we booked riddle? And I'm like, you've got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the so like I I look back at it now and I, I was pretty much a sounding board sort of guy even in 2016, particularly with some things that happened on the first night of that tournament as well. But I, I wasn't officially a part of the team really uh, until uh, after the 2016 tournament was over. And you know it's been it it's been a weird process. It's not really quite like anything else uh, anybody else's in wrestling that I'm aware of. Um, I, it, it, listen, being involved in wrestling will drive you crazy, but it also, it's like, it's, it's simultaneously the best and worst thing, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's, it's the thing that keeps me motivated. It's the, it's the creative outlet. It's like, I get great joy when people like Marco Stunt get signed and, and, and like, that's awesome. Uh, but it also makes you want to pull your hair out because there's never a time where something isn't going wrong ever. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's constant. And you know, um, it probably, this, this probably sounds like a darker answer maybe than you were expecting, but Honestly, when this tournament was over with all the things that went wrong this year, and I mean, we had so many things that went wrong this year, including some weird things that happened in the two weeks before the shows where we had to really evaluate and think, oh crap, do we change our booking? Do we change our booking? Like it, with all the things that went wrong for the shows to have been as successful as they were and as good as they were. And I, I'm not saying they were the best shows ever, but I think they were both very, very good wrestling shows. And we raised a lot of money for the school. The houses were actually a little bit up from last year. I think all things considered, I, I I'm actually probably more positive on Scenic City related stuff coming out of this tournament than I have been since 2017.
1: Honestly. Mm. So I'll be I'll be upfront up with you when it comes to um I guess how I was watching Scenic City this year, and maybe you can give me some insight to this. But as I'm watching it um i was was watching earlier today as i'm watching it it feels like the crowd reaction felt a little off or subdued compared to the pre compared to previous years now being there live you'll be able to tell me was it up to par with the crowd as engaged as the previous um scenic city installments because on on tape that's how it felt
2: i agree with you actually uh and i have some i have some theories on that uh I and and uh, I think that's actually a very fair criticism, right? I think there were I think there were some exceptions. Um, one one glaring exception I would say would be Brett Ison versus B Boy on night two, yeah. Which which I thought got actually I knew it would get a good reaction, but it got an even better reaction than I expected. Yeah, um, even me and you
0: know I've been talking to you about bringing B Boy in for years. Even I didn't expect the crowd to take to B Boy like they did.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was. It, it really didn't surprise me. I think it surprised Matt and Scott more than it surprised me. But I was, I, I was in a sense surprised by the scope of it, I guess. Um, so I, I have a, I have a couple theories about it. Um, and, and neither one of them is. I want to make, I want to make clear that I'm not making excuses here because I allow for the possibility that, that people just didn't think the shows were as good. You know, I, I don't I don't think that's an unfair that, that could be the case. Um, I think there's I think there was two major, major things. Number one, we had a Thursday show this year and uh, obviously we didn't run it. Crux Wrestling ran it, but it was the first show of the year of, of the weekend and probably about a hundred people that went to Scenic City, including most of which were your diehard fans who tend to be the most loud and exuberant fans that you get at the shows Uh, We're at crux the night before. And I really think that that played at least a part of the factor, uh, particularly in night one and people just sort of being like almost drained even by the time they got to the building. Uh, Another factor, and I think we saw this last year, uh, is and this is not really a fault of the school, uh, but it just is what it is. You know, Saudi Daisy, where we run now, is 30, 35 minutes from the hotel. So by the time you've got to drive all the way across town to get to the venue, to get in, uh, and get to your seats and, you know, East Hamilton, which is where we used to run and where we ran the scenic city rumble this year, um, is like 12 minutes from the, from the hotel, if that, um, I do think that makes a difference. I do. Because I thought the crowd reactions were a little subdued last year, to be honest with you, relative to the year before. Now, some of it also is probably star power to a degree. I mean, there's not like we didn't have a performer this year that is your sort of Matt Riddle or even Nick Gage type. Um, that's not a knock on anybody who was in the tournament. Uh, some guys, I think, have their own sort of aura that works at a similar level, but it's not quite the same. Um, and I also think, particularly on night one, I think we ordered the card wrong. Uh, if I could do it again, uh, Marco Stunt versus Billy Buck would have opened the show. Um, uh, and that was really a coin flip. That was literally a game time decision. To be honest with you, um, if I could. I'm do sorry, it again- I,
0: uh, Dylan. I have to interrupt you really quickly there because I think, I think that there is definitely issues with the night one ordering, and I know that there's like travel issues that affected a lot or part of that but the i i I don't know that feels like the wrong switch like i really enjoyed the idea that you opened up the show with probably the biggest legends in the tournament going against each other in a singles match so the idea that that you would switch that out as the opening match doesn't it doesn't make sense to me
2: that that was the mentality um you know, I'm just going to say it right here. I, I I really told you guys beforehand that I would try to keep this as like honest and no holds barred as possible. Um, I really pushed for at one point uh, Marco beating Billy Buck in about 45 seconds, doing the okay. Ray J doing the Ray JBL thing from WrestleMania. That
1: would have made a lot uh, of sense. And
2: yeah. I, I I really believed in my heart of hearts that that probably was the match that we should have done. And it probably should have gone on first, as soon as the match was over. <laughs> like I was like, man, if yeah. this show had opened with Marco's music and then Billy comes out and Billy stalls for a few minutes and then they do the Ray JBL thing, holy crap, this crowd's gonna come unglued.
0: Yeah, like, that would
2: have worked. I mean, I, I see that, and that would have like 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 on paper. I having said that, what your your defense of Slim and B Boy is literally the reason we put it first, right? right. Was. To to, to to start with the bank. And it's not so much that I thought those guys did bad in the first spot. I don't think that at all. So much as it is that I think Marco and Billy was done a disservice based on where it was on the card and some other things that that's a long story in and of itself. Um, and it, it we, I don't think we maximized certain things. Um, and some listen, some of it was not. Entirely our fault. Some of it was our fault. That's wrestling, you know. Uh, so, so you you run into things where you just don't know, and uh, we ran into that a lot that weekend. I mean, we ha- everything that could have gone wrong. Sh- short, I mean, you know, obviously short of major catastrophic events, but everything that could have gone wrong basically did. And scenic city has been very lucky historically. Very lucky. We prior to this these weekends, we've never even had a flight delay. Never. Not once. Like and you know, we've we've never had uh we, we've never had a lot of these sort of, you know, we've never had an injury or much less injuries affect the show the way this did. And in this case, we really had three that affected the show to one degree or another if you if you count Quackenbush's injury the you know the week before or whatever so uh yeah <laughs> we 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 had to bounce back from a lot of stuff but i, I don't think it's unfair to say that the crowd was uh, it, it it i don't know how to put my finger on it because it wasn't like the crowd was disinterested i think that would be a bridge too far but it also wasn't the sort of jovial reaction that we've had at cer- certain events
1: in the past. I think that's a yeah. Fair. That like that like that's the thing is that you know like in all my time watching SCI, if, like even if you just look at the crowd, and even if you like if you did this weird test of like you were just watching the show on mute, if you just had it playing and you were just watching the crowd, you could see like the happiness in the faces of people uh, jumping up and down, being excited, happy, talking to each other um and just looking like they're having a good time and as i'm watching it it just didn't look that way um on the on this year's on, on this year's on tournament
2: yeah i think th- i think there's some truth to that and i don't even think it was people that people weren't having a good time i just think people were tired yeah. I, I i i heard that sentiment a lot um so it's not purely conjecture on my part um you know and again just because, uh, like, I want to be clear about this. I am not, and I, I want to be clear about this with everything I say on this show, actually. I'm not making excuses here. It's entirely possible that people just weren't as into the shows. I don't think that's the case based on, like, the feedback I've gotten subsequently, but it is possible. It's within their own possibility. Just like it's possible there's some stuff I don't know about the Brad Studd situation. But, like, I, I, I allow that as a possibility. I, I, I'm not a uh, divine figure. When it comes to that, or the the responses of the crowd at the shows, you're not but
0: omniscient. I always the, thought that no, you were.
2: No, not at all. But the the feedback I've gotten leads me to believe that people were. I also think Quentin. I think these were sort of very risky shows, booking wise, and I think because of how risky the shows were, I think particularly on night one. And we, I th- night one was very kind of subdued last year too. I think night two is less subdued if you watch it but yeah I think night night two like I think because we took so many risk booking and I mean we took some major risk booking this year by far the most we've ever taken. I, I think a lot of people were like like they could see how the show was going and I think as the show closed, people sort of were like, holy crap, what's gonna happen tomorrow. And it became almost like a good holy crap. But as the show was going on, I think there was a lot of confusion almost, right? Because it's like, Ison gets this massive pop, and then he loses, and he hasn't really lost any big match at all in the state of Tennessee in two years, you know. Or um, we do uh, we we do the the uh, the the draw and the mic breaks, literally in the middle of the countdown on a twenty minute draw. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, yeah I was definitely gonna ask you about that like again because I don't know I don't know everything and I'm sitting there watching it and I know there's the first draw that's happened Scenic in City Invitational History and then it feels so flat and then I'm like trying to like figure out and watch what happens next and then Henry and Drake go to the table and cut their promos and I'm like, okay like that makes more sense but I was just like what happened here because this like it shouldn't feel like this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, flat out, the mic just
2: went dead. We we still don't know why. It wasn't a battery issue. We actually had two mics specifically for that reason, and it checked the batteries ahead of time because we knew that we needed to be doing five-minute calls all night long, and we actually had been doing them on all the matches, right? And suddenly, about halfway through the main event, I believe right after the 10-minute call, the mic just stops working. And, um, you know, I was told after the show— that a cable had just disappeared. I find that hard to believe because I don't know who would have been messing with the soundboard, which was to my immediate right. Uh, Different scene. There we go. (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. Um, uh, You know, but whatever the case may be, something happened in the middle of that main event that caused that mic to not work over the house. And what's funny is the mic did work in our headsets. So like, and you could probably hear this if you go back and watch the IWTV feed, there are moments where I can hear Scott Hensley's call in our headsets and I can hear him sort of slapping the mic, indicating that it's dead. I can hear the thud thud on the mic in our headsets, but you can't hear it live in the building at all.
1: That's and, super strange.
2: And, and it, we have we have no clue what caused it. We had plenty of people who have very strong technical know how there that were working on it. Uh, so it wasn't like it was just like a you know a bunch of dunces who had no clue what they were doing. Uh, it was odd to say to put it mildly, but it was one of many things like I mentioned that could go wrong that did go wrong. You know, I mean we had a ton of. I mean listen, literally. And we could talk about this more in a minute, but we come back from our meeting, our, our little booking meeting, myself, Matt Griffin, and Scott Hensley, between Scenic City Futures and uh, the beginning of night two. Uh, and I walk into the building and Stephen McCash, one of the one of our announcers, comes up to me and goes, There's a flood over here. And I run, and there is a giant side room by the elevator, which is how the handicapped fans get access down, obviously. Uh, and water is just cascading out of a huge drainage pipe. And when I say, well, I mean like a waterfall, I'm not talking about like a drip. (laughs) So when I say everything that could go wrong, went wrong, I literally mean every, like we, we like an hour before bell time on night two, there was a very real possibility. We're going to have to shut off water in the entire building and there'd be no bathrooms. I mean, that is the, (laughs) that is the kind of stuff that happened that weekend. It was crazy.
0: Well, okay, Dylan, I'm sorry, Quentin, because I, I feel like I told you I would just let you have free range No, <laughs> oh, you're, you're
1: of this, good, but, man.
0: but you're talking about all the problems, and you talked about travel issues, and you talked about injury issues, and all of this stuff, but it felt like as someone watching the show, as someone who's watched the show multiple times even, um, relatively live, getting tweets from the building, getting DMs from the building from different people, it felt like the only issues that I heard about were the, specifically the issues that had to do with Dan, Dan McCabe, Daniel McCabe, dirty Dan, as I like to call him. No one else has to call him that, but it's what I call him. You could pick it up if you like. It's okay. Um, But that was the only thing that I heard on the commentary. That was the only thing that I heard, you know, that I knew about was that like Dan had travel issues. Um, Dan was injured, but you're telling me there's a lot of other things. There's flooding all in this. And then he ends up being the person who wins. So how much of, like, the presentation of this nightmare two days is, like, kind of weirdly focused on, from the outside world, the 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 nightmare that you hear about only has to do with the guy who ends up winning the whole thing. Like, as you talk about, you know, it was such a big deal. Like, how much of it was orchestrated what you let out so that it felt like the nightmare tournament was also the, the nightmare dan makabe tournament and it was also the year that he wins you know like it it feels like i said it feels just a little bit too coincidental that it's like all of these weird things come together and then he also ends up being the one who wins like am i wrong in in feeling that way like how much of it was manufactured intentionally i wouldn't
2: I, I, i wouldn't say i wouldn't say that you're wrong because it's a feeling you got based on what was presented to you right um so I, you know, you can only go on what you're presented with. Right. And I mean, that's, that's probably going to be a theme of this podcast from the very beginning to the very end. You can, you can only go with what you're presented with. And I can't fault people for going with what you're presented with. But the reality is we had, so let me, let me take you back in time to Thursday. Right. So Thursday, um, we've got, like, we have to set up the ring on Thursday. So I've got some, Talents coming in for the first time, plus fans, plus I, I, you know, because I work for IWTV, I needed to be there for the Crux show, even though I didn't have any intention of working it. I was ha- more than happy to help and glad I got to call a couple matches. I was very, very happy. Kerry asked me to, but that I didn't. I literally didn't know that till I got to the building. So I, I'm, I'm at Saudi Daisy. I'm setting up the ring. I head over to to Crux, uh, and as I'm calling one of those matches at Crux. I look at my phone, and it's Tony Deppin telling me that his flight's delayed. Now, he was already supposed to get in at midnight, uh, roughly. And then he tells me he's getting in at 2. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. That's not great. So I go outside, try to give him a call, make sure he's okay, see, make sure we've got everything sorted. Um, doesn't answer. Probably has better things to do than talk to me. I can't blame him. Uh, and uh, I put my phone down. And Matt Griffin comes out the back and goes, we've got a problem. Macabe's flight was canceled. (laughs) So so now we have not just two guys, but two guys who are in a match together, right? Um, So an entire match that is potentially in jeopardy, okay? Uh, And, you know, we're looking, and it's obviously a weather thing, blah, 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 blah. Long story short. So I spent basically the entire second half of the Crux show, both myself and Matt, spent trying to figure out what we could do to ensure that uh, these guys would even be there. You know, in the case of Deppen, we were pretty sure we'd be okay, although his flight ended up getting delayed even farther and he didn't get to town until 4 a.m. But in in the case of Daniel, I mean, like we were there was a there was probably an hour long period where I was fairly convinced he wasn't going to be there. Uh, you know, because they had automatically rebooked him for a flight that arrived at 11 PM Friday, which does us no good. Uh, so long story short, Matt spends a lot of time on Travelocity. We finally get it sorted out, but we can't get a direct flight for him into Chattanooga. He has to fly into Atlanta. Okay. Well, he's flying into Atlanta on a Friday, I, that means I have to get him a shuttle. So I get him. A, I, I call up the shuttle. I get the shuttle service. He's got a spot on the shuttle service. We've got nobody to pick him up, though, because the shuttle drops him off in a, in a suburb of Chattanooga that's you know forty minutes from Saudi Daisy, uh, and they're dropping. And the shuttle's due to drop him off basically right around bell time. So we've got to get somebody to go pick him up to ensure. So that was that was Thursday. Okay, Um, that's just Thursday. Then you got the broken mic issue on on Friday night. Uh, You got the flood on Saturday, which was uh, uh, just a a total a total cluster situation that could not have possibly been uh, predicted. And there was no way to reasonably deal with it uh, in advance Um, there's, there's several things I know I'm forgetting in here. I mean, it was like one thing after another where we were like, Oh, okay. Uh, how do we deal with this? Uh, Oh, I, at one point we went from having like three people who could work camera to no one, (laughs) like at a span of an hour. How did that happen? That's (laughs) That's 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 a long story. Um, Most of which I will, I reserve the right not to tell on this podcast, but it, 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 it literally like that, that was an issue that I was dealing with on Friday or Thursday night. Rather, um, we had, uh, you know, a situation where because of how the hotel rooms had been booked, um, and because of splits that had been done with crux, like we had people that had to completely leave one room to get rebooked in another room that, and nobody knew how to do. I mean, it was a lot of stuff that was going on that really was needless. Um, and it started on Thursday night, right? And I, like I said, I'm I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff because it was like one thing after another, like almost to an eye rolling degree. I couldn't like you know like oh God, you got to be kidding me. Uh, but in a sense, it did sort of end up coalescing around around Dan. And 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 part of the thing too is you got to remember there were issues that carried over. From stuff that was even pre-tournament, and I would I would really identify three major ones. You could find some others that happened in the subsequent to in the two weeks prior. Okay, so you had right before the tournament, you had the Marco stunt Gunner Miller situation. All right, uh, and you know like it, that situation is what it is. I have no problem addressing it if you guys want to ask a specific question on it. But it does you know, given the nature of the tournament, what Gunner is actually known for in wrestling. And, and whatnot. Like, obviously, I'm getting messages nonstop. Is this a work? Is this a work? Is he going to be there? Like, like, and, you know, it, it just was very, very tedious. Uh, uh, you know, and also there was pressure from some people uh, uh, saying that it should be a work. Like, it, it just was a thing,
1: you know? Yeah, I, I, was, like, I was like, I was listening to the Voices Wrestling flagship, and that was like some something that Lanza was pushing like yeah like Gunnar Miller should just come out there and just completely just turn around and wreck the SCI and 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 that and that kind of stuff and I didn't know if that was just something he was thinking he was thinking of but knowing that people were actually saying that to you now or um talking about that being a possibility directly to you uh, that's yeah I can't imagine what's going on going on through your head with that
2: oh it was it was a huge part of like the, the like that the aftermath, you know, of that thing. Cause I don't remember exactly when that happened. I might've been like Tuesday of that week, but, or maybe Wednesday, but it was, you know, it was right in the, in the middle of the week and it just was nonstop for like two days. And honestly, I I know for a fact that there were people in the back wrestlers in the back that were convinced he was going to show up unannounced on Friday night and do, and and be part of an angle. (laughs) Like I, like I know that for a fact. Um, why didn't he show up? Um, there are, uh, I mean, there are a lot of answers to that, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't have a problem with Gunner. He knows I don't have a problem with him. Um, I don't really, like, he, listen, he's focused on his podcast thing that he's doing, uh, which is fine. I mean, that's cool. Let's that's what plug he wants that,
0: because to- I didn't even know that existed. What's his podcast?
2: Oh, no. I'm plugging <laughs> Gunner Miller. <laughs> the, the, uh, the uh, I think it's called the 60-Minute Broadway, but... Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's fine. Like, I don't begrudge him doing his thing. Um, but you know, one of the big things that I always tell guys is don't shoot your own angles. Um, and you know, the re the reason I tell guys, I mean, like there are exceptions, like if you're Joey Janela, you can do it, you know, but Joey Janela is the exception. It's like one time I was, I was with a guy who's relatively new in wrestling and somebody was complaining about the way he threw a punch. And he literally said, well, John Cena's punches look bad. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, like, can you imagine the audacity of somebody who's like six months into the wrestling business comparing himself to John Cena <laughs> and being like, okay, I can do this because John Cena's punches are bad. That's kind of how I feel when people cite Joey Janela's social media as a, as a method for them. <laughs> it's like, you're not Joey Janela, pal like right. it's it like it it does the i get why you would think you could do this but i promise you it's not the same for everybody he's special you like you don't You're have to like not man yeah <laughs> you don't have to like that you can think it's unfair it also doesn't matter what you think it's just the it's just the way that it is and you know i don't like i think um i think gunner has figured out a good way to build his podcast brand around doing controversial stuff and saying controversial things. So good for him with that. But um, I really didn't see any utility in him doing an angle. I, I just didn't. Uh, to be brutally honest with you about it, I don't think very many people in the locker room would have wanted him to do it anyway. Uh, but even setting that aside, I just didn't see any utility in it. Like, what's well, the what's The what's the reason point? why...
0: Like the only reason why I asked that, and I'm sorry because I'm interrupting you more, but I could just feel uh, I could feel you going off. Um, it's just because there was a moment when Gunner felt like he was Mr. Sci, and it feels like relatively recently when Gunner stopped being Ms. Mr. Sci, Anthony Henry finally took his rightful place. Again, I will say rightful place because from the beginning I've always thought of Anthony Henry as Mr. Sci, but I felt like there was a time where it felt like gunner was presented as mr sci right and then now it feels like he's been kind of defocused devalued de de legitimized as that that that
2: person i i I actually i don't agree with you there okay okay. and let me let me let me me tell you why i don't agree with you he hasn't been defocused he he just isn't a wrestler anymore you know what I mean? Like, like he took himself out of the game. Well, now, it, it, to be fair, that's not entirely fair, because he got hurt, right? And it was a very substantial injury. But, but, um, the, re- the reality is, like, this is another reason. It's like, first of all, let me be clear. I didn't talk to Gunnar Miller at all about him coming to this show. He didn't pitch me, nothing like that. Let me be totally, I don't want anybody listening to this thinking that I discussed with him even a the theoretical possibility of him coming, no. Were there people who were friendly with Gunner or who were sort of what I call the Georgia Old Guard types, um, many of whom I really like a lot, actually, who were like, you guys should do something with Gunner, blah, 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 blah. Yes, there were. All right. And I, I, I listen, I'll listen to a pitch for just about anything. Okay. Um, uh, B-boy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll listen to a pitch for just about anything. and um, you know, And I can be convinced. Uh, within reason. Uh, But the sort of very limited pitches I was getting, I just didn't think they were compelling. I didn't think they made sense. Uh, I didn't think there was any good argument for it. Uh, I don't know that he would have wanted to come anyway, to be honest. I think it's very likely he wouldn't have wanted to be there. Um, And I don't, my feelings aren't hurt about that, you know? So uh, he he can continue to do his thing, and that's fine. I, I don't I don't begrudge him at all, um, but that like o- honestly that was just one of the issues right like um, you know I I and as far as his comments regarding Marco it's like you know I, I how much of that was heartfelt and how much of that was trying to you know create a viral content for his podcast I really don't know like I. I, I I know that he that there's a lot of guys around him who don't really get Marco and don't understand him, don't get his appeal. Uh, think, you know, in some cases they think he's like quote bad for business or whatever. You know, my my thought process on like my, my thought process on that whole thing is more or less this. Um I don't care whether you like somebody's wrestling style or not. There are a lot of guys who have a wrestling style that I don't like a presentation that I don't like. I'm not really fans of them, but I, at a certain point, the success speaks for itself. The kid obviously has it. If you are denying that, I just think you're being dishonest. Uh, you know, I mean, you can, you, you, if you, if you want to say that he's not for you or that you think, you, you, you can't suspend your disbelief watching him against a bigger guy. okay, I, I mean I get that to a degree. I, I can accept how somebody would say that to a degree. If you want to say that he shouldn't be signed, eh, I mean that's really not, to me that's not for anybody to say other than the person signing him. you know like I like I, I if the person signed signing him sees value uh, based on a track record, which is pretty clearly the case in this case, then you know, I, it 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 is what it is. You can you can bitch about it or not like it all you want, but it's totally immaterial. Um,
0: right. Well, yeah, and like, that that goes back to something that I said early on: workers of the world unite! Don't begrudge a fellow worker for making money
2: ever. Yeah, yeah. It, and 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 you know, the one aspect of it that I didn't like was sort of the implication that he didn't really earn it, and it's like this is a guy who was beaten to crap on Shindy's for a couple years, an undersized dude who was constantly taken advantage of, who really only got any breaks in the first place because he showed up to set up a supper ring once. And, like, the idea that he did, did, didn't earn it w- when, you know, <laughs> he rushed back from a very serious injury himself to, to debut... Uh, or or to have that big match with Janela at spring break this year. It's like, look, if you don't like his style, that's fine. There's a lot of guys I don't like, but to to act like he didn't earn it or like he got like fast tracked or it wasn't fair or whatever. A, it isn't nothing in wrestling or anything is fair. And B, that's just stupid. Like it just isn't true. Capitalism
0: Um, is unfair. Like that's the whole fucking point. The boss is exploiting you. The idea that like, Oh, he didn't earn it. No, the whole fucking point is that you're getting ripped off. Your labor is always being stolen from you. There's a surplus that you're creating that's being taken from you by the boss. That's the whole fucking point of capitalism. So to say, like, he didn't earn it, all you're doing is, like, you're missing the whole point of class solidarity. So whatever. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dylan. But my God, we're doing
2: it. we're doing a labor theory of value podcast now. <laughs> exactly.
0: Really, it doesn't fucking matter if you earned it. The whole point of like, you should be trying, you should be applauding someone from stealing money from the boss because the boss can, is
2: stealing from you. I can do an hour on primitive accumulation next. Right? <laughs> but the, the, uh, but the other two sort of things that I think really affected us that I think are also relevant to this point uh, in terms of, thinking about should we make changes in terms of booking or whatnot in the last two weeks that were beyond our control were Brett Eisen getting a, like, uh, to you to quote Brett Lauderdale himself, a Austin in the Attitude era level pop at GCW yes. and, ter- and turning into, like, an actual huge guy outside of just the SUP universe uh, and, uh, you know, Quack getting injured and un- being unable to be there. So we had all three of those things, the Marco Gunner thing, the Brett Ison sort of emerging as a bigger figure than we had anticipated um coming into the tournament. Uh, not that not that we were gonna trivialize him, but you understand right. my point. Right. And but I mean I could have
0: told you that months ago, as I've been saying, I mean Brett Ison is my number two champion on indie wrestling behind I, AC Mac.
1: And not, I, and, not uh, and not only with uh, not only with Brett too, is that like, if you watch the shows, like, just because, like, every, I think a lot, a lot of people had went and seen that Brett Eisen getting that pop-it um, GCW video. So when you talked about it before with Matt my Trem- Trem- beating Brett in the first round, you eliminated someone that people were probably like, oh, yeah, this is going to be one of the guys to go um to go further, make a run, maybe even win this thing. And then, like, when you look at it, because Matt went on to face O'Shea in the next round, O'Shea versus Eisen is probably like, Probably like one of the matches for um yes for that for that scene that got missed out on because of that.
2: Oh yeah, I mean like there's there are a lot of arguments. Like so, when this tournament was booked, the idea was Brett and Tremont. I mean, I literally can tell you the exact moment when I had the conversation with Brett uh, about uh, the 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 match. It was. Uh, PWF's Primus show last November. Um, uh, you know, Ison was there. Actually, B-Boy had a seminar there, and that, like, uh, I, but I was talking to Brett during the B-Boy seminar, and I said, look, I'm pretty sure we're going to book you for Scenic City this year, but it really depends on if we can get the right opponent for you in the first round. And he goes, who is that? Who would that be? And I, I said, Tremont. And, um, we were able to get that done. But the idea all along was that it would be ice, the first time Ison had come up short. You know, that was that was the idea. That was the, That was the sort of concept that we were running with from the very, very beginning. And the idea also is we're sort of telling that parallel track story with O'Shea that you sort of mentioned, Quentin. And the idea would be that O'Shea would be able to do something in the second round that Brett wasn't able to do, right? And we would kind of have that story coming into SUP the next night and some other things for down the road. But and, – and, and I'm – by the way, I'm still not – in no way am I saying that I regret the decision we made there. However, it – at the time the decision was made – we didn't know what we knew like what was gonna happen two weeks out. Exactly. And, and you and you really this is the tough thing about being a booker, especially with a show like a tournament. Because it the thing is, if you change one thing in a tournament, it's not like another show. If you change one thing in a tournament, that means you have by 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 just by logic, you end up changing at least another at least one other thing, right? Like so anything you change in a tournament. What you're really changing is at least two things. So, if we had done that, we more or less would have had to be committed to O'Shea and Brett in round two. Uh, and this is my personal opinion. Um, you know, don't hold me to this for next year, by the way. But uh, my personal belief was had we done O'Shea versus Brett in round two, the winner of that would have had to win the tournament. I, I just, yeah. in, in my gut, I don't think we could have run that match and then have one of those guys lose in the final. I, I, like, now, that's just my perception. I admit some of that might be my bias as a guy involved in SUP 2. Perhaps an outsider would be like, I don't think that's true. But I think for the stories we were telling, the only way we could have done that match in round two is if the winner was winning the whole thing. And the story of the win- how we got to the winner winning the whole thing is interesting in and of itself. But suffice to say, none, neither of those guys ended up winning this year
1: something I've always appreciated about the SCI is um its, it's commitment to its history it's ne- it never sits here and um comes in with a completely clean slate it usually acknowledges things from the past and now because um like I, I think if you, I think it'd be safe to say that the cenic City Invitational has um given life or given inspiration to uh, Make it to bring these other promotions into the fold, into existence, like action and sup. and now you're getting interwoven stuff between um action sup and the scenic city invitational event Events. So, I like the little universe has been created here, but something that fell a little flat for me, and there's gonna be like a little weird and hyper specific, is the Kevin Koo Nick Iggy match in. 100 ma-
0: percent. Ma- i'm sorry quentin i'm gonna interrupt you really quickly that was the most disappointing match of the tournament without a question continue what you're saying
1: so like not only did, did i feel like the match was um was done in a way where i felt like I, d- I didn't highlight what either guy is particularly good at i felt like a lot of guys are doing i feel like both the guys were doing things that once they were out of their death but just not the, the way a match with, between those two should look, at least in my eyes. But then we get the referee stoppage finish for Nick Iggy. And I know that we've had conversations before about the Carneys and whether they're heels and exactly what, what, what goes on between them. And I like the idea that went into, okay, we're going to do a referee stoppage finish because the carnies also got the only ref stoppage in scenic city history, um, a, a couple of years ago, but then to do it right there, and it felt like no one in the crowd, uh, the crowd really knew what was going on, and um, really caught onto the story because Nick Iggy's character is so um, vague and like flip flops between like what he like what he, what the carnies are that day, and what's like what's that like trying to trying to balance like giving those nuggets to the audience at home. When you're commentating, like, "Oh yeah, this is what happened a few years ago," Turn, what, what, um, what comes around turns around, and all and all that stuff, and that kind of thing not getting a great reaction from the live crowd.
2: It was, it's it's tough. I mean, that, I'll be honest. That was the one match that I was just not happy with. Um, I didn't. Now, I actually thought the first half of it was actually pretty good, but it was it was one of those matches that like it got to a point where it just didn't work. And I don't even know quite what went wrong. I haven't watched it back. Um, It's a shame really, because I actually feel like Iggy is a super underrated singles wrestler. I think if people have been watching his Bizarro wrestling run, they know that Um, uh, like he or Bizarro Lucha run rather like he's super, super underrated as a singles guy. Um, I think Koo has had some real, like, I thought his match, this is just my personal opinion, um, and I know I may be in the minority, but I actually thought his match with B-Boy was the best B-Boy match the whole weekend, his, his match at SUP. Uh, but, so, it it's not like Koo can't have singles matches that are really good. Um, In fact, that, that Koo-B-Boy match is probably in my top five for the whole weekend. But
0: Well, you want to talk about Koo, good Koo singles matches, I will say that Kane Justice versus Kevin Koo is, and this is saying a lot from me, is my favorite Kane Justice singles match.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, from PWF, again, they had a real good one. Yeah. I mean, his match with Tracy Williams for the IWT yes. title last year was excellent. I mean, yes. it's not it's not like these guys can't have good singles matches, and it's not like they haven't had good singles matches. I mean, I saw Iggy at Bizarro Lucha earlier this year versus Jimmy Jacobs. That was really good, like a really good like the kind of match where it's over. And I was like, "Woo, I'm straight edge, but I need a cigarette, you know, like that's that that's, and that doesn't happen very often, but the match just didn't click. Um, it, it, it just, it just didn't click. And the idea behind the stoppage finish, like I feel like stoppage finishes are always a risk. Um, when it was pitched to me, I made sure to let commentary know to reference that in that same building at the scenic city rumble a year and a half before, the Carnies have beaten Tank and Iceberg with that, um, so I'm glad that they did reference it. But I knew it was a risk going in. Uh, honestly, in hindsight, it's not even because I don't think these two are capable of having a good singles match, but this was a match that, in hindsight, maybe they should have been paired with different people. Um, I don't know who, and I don't know how, and I, again, it's not because I don't think they could have had a good match, just because with the benefit of hindsight it wasn't what it needed to be. And I, and I take some responsibility for that. Um, I will say this, you know, this entire tournament was booked several different times. And again, Mm -hmm. we'll probably get into the story of how the winner was decided and whatnot relatively soon, but this entire tournament was booked several different times, actually, um, to really peel this thing back even farther. Uh, if people are still listening, uh, which they may not be after my defense of Brad Stutz at the beginning, but I, I I think that the tournament would have looked a lot different had Mike Quackenbush never been booked in the first place. Which is ironic since he ended up not being there at all. Um, we had more or less agreed on a first round when Mike Quackenbush was booked. Uh, uh, he was booked relatively late, and then it was like, "Okay, we need to redo this to get to get a match for him." So we blew up the entire first round, and when we put the pieces of the first round back together, Koo and Iggy ended up wrestling each other, and that was not who they were originally huh. wrestling. So it it you know, this is one of those things where we made a decision to bring in Quack. Um, I'll be again, I'm going to be brutally honest on this show. Um, I was kind of against it. Um, not, not because I didn't want to have quack there. I like quack a lot. I think he's awesome. I would have loved to have him have a match. I would love to have him do a seminar, you know? Uh, but it's just, it was so late in the process. We'd already settled on a first round and, um, like there's also just the expense factor. And I was just like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know. Like, I, I wasn't militantly against it, obviously. It wouldn't have happened had I been. But I was definitely much more, and this is not a burial of my partners at all, I was much more nervous about it than Matt and Scott were. And um, um, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was budget reasons, but another big part was just that we had just settled on the first round. <laughs> like literally, I think the day before, or maybe two days before. Uh, so. You know, it is what it is. Um, that's a process error. Uh, I don't think something like that is likely to happen again because you would learn every year. But I, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think anybody would be surprised or disagree with that being the most disappointing match of the tournament. I think that's I think that's more or less fair. And I hate that for both of those guys because I'm super high on both of them. But well, that's uh, why it's disappointing. Sure. You know? Sure. No, that's true. That's true. I and 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 I feel like both of those guys could have done so much more if things had just been a little bit different. But uh, you know, there's a lot of things at play. That's another one where maybe we got the card placement wrong. Um, having that, tw- I'll be honest with you, having the 20 minute draw, that's another thing that really affects the shows in in major ways because. Having the 20-minute draw meant that we felt very strongly we needed to do a five-up three-down instead of the traditional four-four in terms of where intermission is placed, and that I think also sort of created a weird tension tonight. One, uh, I, I also, you know, also it affects night two because, you know, we had I'll be the first to say it. we had too many matches on night two. The prop, the pro- the problem is the only way to cut matches on night two would have been to book people for only one night where they'll subsequently get booked on another show that will advertise them and it screws up everything and blows your kayfabe and everybody knows your first round. So you kind of have to pick your poison. And because we knew we were going to do that draw in round one, we just dealt with it and and went ahead and had one or arguably two matches too many on night two. But it is well, what it is. You're
0: uh, – I hate to do this because I'm just like I feel like I'm really nitpicking here, but your draw on night one was really close to being a countout. Could you have not have just done a countout? It didn't have to go to the limit.
2: We could have, um, and there was a, there was a point where that was discussed. Although functionally it make it would make no difference. I mean it it. I mean I guess it would make difference in the sense that like if we did a count out at 16 minutes, you save four minutes off the show. Right. right. But, but I, I, that match was going to be probably the longest match on the show regardless. So I don't think it really would have made a huge difference. I also feel like because of the way the scenic city Canon has worked. And because of the fact that we've done the 20 minute time limits and we've tried to keep that a consistent theme, uh, we needed to deliver on that eventually and this felt it felt like this was the year to do it it just felt like
0: and i I really liked it and i thought that it was delivered really well in the setting and i even i messaged you as soon as i saw it you know what i mean you and you know that because i i really enjoyed that from a booking standpoint but again i'm talking about like if you're if you're using that, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but like as an argument or whatever, like a reason why things were fucked up. It's like you could have worked around it. And I understand why you wouldn't in a lot of ways, because to me, it made sense the way that it, it went.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and another thing, too, is like the worst thing in wrestling I think even as a fan, this is true, right? W- particularly as it pertains to expectations, but it's especially true as a, when you're involved in the creative process, right? The worst thing in wrestling is when you've got an idea and you're watching it unfold and halfway through you realize, uh-oh. <laughs> like, that, that is the absolute worst. And I don't care how good you are, it happens to everybody. Like, like it will happen where you'll realize, oh, no. And sometimes you can reel it back in and things work out okay. But, you know, to a degree you have to take, I feel like this was a year we had to take risk. Um, a lot of the narratives that had sustained the Scenic City for the, Invitational for the first four years had kind of concluded last year, you know. Um, Joey Lynch finally won. Corey Hollis, who'd been almost the sort of consistent theme, bad guy from beginning to end, had had been vanquished. Like, you know, like there were, there were just elements and, and, and major things that it sort of the process had come to an end with certain guys. Not, and that's not to say we'll never use any of these guys, by the way, it's just that, that first sort of the first telling of the story was done. So this year in a lot of ways was about setting the table. That's why we had so many, that's why we had 13 new people in it. You know, yeah. at one point I was, I was at one point I was pitching the idea of 16 of just doing all new people, but it would have been really, really hard for us not to have Joey back. And, with Anthony being able to do it to me, it's just stupid if you don't book him for it. Um, so, you know, we ended up in the position we were in, but that sort of newness thing was a big theme for us this year.
1: Um, So one, one last thing before we move on to the to the next night, but um, Timothy was talking about how he liked the, he liked the draw and how he thought it came across well. And I wouldn't say I necessarily agree with that just because of what it led to and granted like the angle itself got, um, got, got fucked in a lot of ways because of the mic issues, but seeing in how it just wound up leading to a work horseman versus lynch mob match on night two. Was there any sort of thought that you could have just did the lynch, lynch mob versus the work, work horseman as a special attraction on night two without needing these guys in the tournament? Or was that always the thought of, we should run this angle and put some heat on this match instead of um, just running it as this cool little one off thing.
2: So, there was a point where we had discussed doing just something with Joey in particular on night two. And, like, in other words, more or less not having him defend, right? And just having him in a special attraction, right? Um, that was, at one point, at least, that was something we considered. Um, there were certain reasons why that very quickly became an idea that just didn't seem workable. Um, I think for either side, to be honest, like it just, it, it, it very quickly was like, this isn't going to work at least not the way we need it to, if that makes sense. Um, it also, we were also kind of strongly of the opinion that this was the year we needed to have a first round draw. And I think realistically, I've said this, you know, a a billion times and in wrestling, there's always some carny promoter stuff going on and I'll be the first person to admit it. But I've said publicly and privately that, it would bother me for Anthony Henry to ever be in the tournament again and be beaten again. And I've always been very careful to use that terminology (laughs) because in my head with Anthony, there's basically two places you could go with him. Winning the tournament or being the first guy who's eliminated via draw. I don't, I just don't, I think you can't, he can't be the Buffalo Bills again, you know, Like, I, I just couldn't, he's, first of all, he's too good. He's too important a part of scenic city history. Like I get that it's a work, but it just feels wrong. And, um, you know, being fully brutally honest, and this will sound like an after the fact shot at Gunnar Miller, it actually isn't. But for a long time, I've thought that probably he should have won in 2016. And, you know, that that was probably the window for him. Uh, but you know, like once we knew he was going to be there, it's like it felt like if he's going to be there and he's going to be in the tournament, it should be a draw. Now, could we have run the Work versus the Lynches on night two um, in a special attraction with, with not, none of them booked on the previous night? Possibly, but that's where you get into budget reasons. You know right. what I mean? Like, can I really justify the expense of a night two attraction match that where I don't have any of these guys on night one when I'm using a school budget to get this done. <laughs> and it, it, I'm the last person on the world to say the workhorsemen aren't worth it. Cause I think they're incredible. But from a practical consideration, if I can get them for two nights, I can't pass on that. It's just, if I can get a deal on two nights versus a less favorable deal on one, I've got to take the deal
1: right um when i think about night two what sticks out to me other than like the um eventual winner um and the things surrounding that match that um i definitely want to have a longer discussion about what sticks out to me is when you're doing the alternate uh, six-way scramble and as the show is going on jake parnell is really fucking over shockingly over not because jake is some unknown guy jake has been working from the mid from the midwest to the su- to the southern southeast area and all that stuff he's been he's been doing that jake isn't a new guy at this but i think it was alarming how over jake was especially compared to how subdued everything felt on night one and a lot of this is definitely going to be like how it looks coming up coming across on television and knowing the um actual circumstance but seeing jake come out like that almost felt like jake should have just been in from the beginning which is why i was asking about the henry and lynch 20 minute draw because when you had someone like jake parnell who looked and felt so over on night two in my head i'm like okay well if jake was going to be so over you could have did like jake parnell versus dominic garini in, in the first round or something like that
2: yeah so um Jake I mean I'm super 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 high on Parnell. Uh I think he he's one of there's several guys on the indies who are I think poised to be they're like right on the precipice of being breakout guys. You know what I mean? And I think Jake is one of them. He's not quite over the line, but he's like he's been basically like standing right at it for several months and I think it's just going to take one or two things And he's going to be over, and I think it's inevitable that he's going to be one of the top guys in the Indies uh, by this time next year, if not sooner. I think it's just inevitable. Um, With Jake, we could have had him in the field of 16, uh, and there was definitely some interest. um, uh, You know, when we started putting the field together, there was definitely some interest. But the field, I'm going to be honest, the field filled up extremely fast. Like, we had... Fourteen entrants, super fast. So we basically had two spots that were open, <laughs> that ended up going to Jaden and Tony Deppen, respectively. Um, and Tony Deppen actually only after Dominic Greenie, uh couldn't do it because of when Absolution was scheduled. Uh, but so that 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 sort of stuff sort of fell into place to a degree. And with Parnell. You know, he had the match with Jaden at Scenic City Showdown, which I thought was incredible. Like, I'm not going to sit here and th- say it was a match of the year candidate, but what we needed from those guys and the circumstances behind the match, I, it probably couldn't have been a lot better than it was. Um, I, I thought it was exactly what it needed to be. And when that night ended, I turned to Scott Hensley and I said, we've got to find a way for Jake to be in, at the SCI this year. You know, and at that point, we had every spot booked. You know, and I knew I was like, I don't know how we've got to figure out a way. And, uh, I went home and I thought about it and we had already, by that point, we were already pretty sure we were going to do a draw in the first round. And, you know, I just, I messaged the guys and I said, I think Jake needs to win the scramble and go into the tournament. Um, and, and that, that was the way we got him in. I mean, realistically, A big part of it – a big part of why he wasn't in the original field was that we were so committed to having as many first-timers as possible this year, and he was in the tournament last year. Um, So this was kind of a cheat to get him back in. But also I felt strongly – and I think this is true – that I felt strongly that if we produced the moment correctly, the natural star power that I believe Jake has would jump off of the page and would really kick off that show – in the way I wanted it to be kicked off. And, you know, Scenic City historically has not been heavily produced in the sense that we've not really thought intensely about how to execute certain segments. That was very different with this, particularly night two. There were several segments on night two that were very, very, um, specifically executed. And, the first of them was the scramble itself. You know, we did four dark entrances, the live feed starts with Dominic Greeny's music hitting and his, him coming to the ring. And then we have Jake as a total surprise unannounced. Um, We, you know, he didn't, he actually stayed somewhere totally different on Friday nights that he wasn't seen by anybody. And, uh, you know, I think it got the reaction that it deserved. And I also think, you know, one of the seeds that we wanted to plant was this guy's going to win the whole thing. He's going to come in as a non-entrant and he's going to win the whole thing. And again, I'm sure we're about to start talking about this, but uh, he he very nearly did. You know, I mean, uh, realistically, this was a a two person race in terms of who uh, who was going to who we thought was going to win and who we were going to pick for the longest time. This was a two person race. And then the person who won was not even one of the people that was in that race. So uh, it, 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 it's weird how wrestling works out sometimes, but uh, it, that's the way it worked.
1: I guess we, now we can we get, get into that. And Dylan, right off the bat, Daniel Makabe winning the Santa City Invitational is one of the gussiest calls and most out there calls I've seen from any promotion, any event in the last few years just because of the nature of Dan and not because of like the unfamiliarity aspect that Dan might've had with, um, some of the people in attendance, which you can tell me if maybe that was, um, maybe like thinking that is a little, uh, too, um, I don't want to say insulting, but thinking lesser of what the, of of what the people in attendance might've been watching. But Dan, who's primarily a heel, as we know at this point, at this stage in his career, um, Coming in and being someone that he's worked bigger names, but these matches aren't getting a ton of views on YouTube or anything like that. Dan only has about a thousand and five hundred followers on Twitter, so it's not like Dan is super, super popping or viral or anything on social media currently. And to have him come in and win, especially in the rowdy did, where. He's doing these, like, we know the Dan style, technical, a lot of focused limb work, great selling and all that stuff. But as someone that's so familiar with Dan, watching him in that setting felt weird because it feels like he's positioned as this sort of subtle heel in the matches, but then he's selling like a babyface. And to see that go down all the way to the final where we do the angle with AC Mack and all that stuff in the real life circumstances as to why that approach had to be taken. Why did, why was then the conclusion that you guys came to? This could be an entire podcast, Quentin, but so, um,
2: you know, as the, as the, as the great, uh, Dave Meltzer would say plans change. Um, I, so When we first booked Dan, I booked him on November the 4th last year after his debut at SUP. Um, And when we first booked him, my thought process was, I want this guy to go to the final. I don't know if he can win, but I I really think if he goes to the final, and there was a lot of reasons for that, by the way. One of the reasons was, I believed he could be an
1: anchor in the final in the way that Chris Hero was in 2016. Oh, absolutely. Then that's... On paper, because what, what, as SCI is happening, I'm in, I'm in New York dealing with family stuff. So, as I'm just looking at it, as the results are flowing in, I'm looking at the four way, and I'm like, oh, that sounds like it could be good. Like Dan feels like he could structure the match or be like a good lead in the match in a way that, like you know, Chris Hero or Jimmy Rave have been in in, in in previous years.
0: That was exactly thinking.
1: Yeah, and then and then I go and and then I go and watch it. It's like oh, like. Clearly something happened here. And obviously that's why you're here talking about it right now.
0: Okay. But if you want to talk about veteran anchors who should have been in the final (laughs) B-boy,
2: I mean, he is the. Well, well, actually, actually, Timothy, let me say this actually, before I talk more about the Dan thing, there was actually, we did something unprecedented this year. We actually storyboarded an argument for every single person in the field to win. Like we wanted to keep this as wide open as possible because every other year with scenic city, the winner has been known literally from the end of the tournament, the year before every other year we'd known. And like this year we wanted to just be like, let's do the total opposite. Let's see what happens when we have total unmitigated freedom. No promises have been made to anybody and we're just seeing what works. And, um, in some ways, I wouldn't recommend that strategy, <laughs> but but it worked uh, out this year it, it, especially it, it, because it, you had it, did. it was this was the year to do it yeah because
0: you had so many variables that popped up throughout the year that it was really nice that you had arguments for any finish
2: yeah this was the this was the year where we could do that I I really do think that we could have made a compelling. Story for every single person in the tournament to win. I truly believe that. That's not even me being a promoter. Like I actually believe that. Um, so, uh, so the idea was we, when 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 I booked him, the idea was, and me and Matt especially pushed this very early on. Not that Scott was against it; he just wasn't. You know, it just this was more of me and Matt pushing it. Was the idea that Makabe would go to the final, right? Um, we didn't really discuss in detail the idea of him winning beyond just the ideas that we had for everybody winning, but like he was not a favorite or front runner. And I think we'd more or less decided that he wasn't going to win. And then Quackenbush got booked. And then the idea was that Tony Deppin would beat Daniel McCabe in round one and McCabe would wrestle Quackenbush on night two, Uh, which I was very opposed to in the sense of that. I felt strongly that, that Dan should, should, go to the final. But I also felt like he was the person who should get the quack and bush match if anybody should. So it, it was like, it was one of those things where I didn't like the way I f- it made me feel, but I also couldn't really argue with the logic of it. Well, time's getting closer and the quack situation unfolds. And suddenly it's like, okay, this isn't going to happen. So we make a couple of decisions and the decision, the first decision we make is we book Alex Zane as a surprise for night two to wrestle Tony Deppen, um, sort of as a make good for the quack thing. It's not, I mean, it's not quack, but Alex Zane's got some, you know, interest behind him. He's rel- he's a regional guy, really. Uh, he wrestles for actually a lot of regional promotions here in Tennessee. So, uh, we knew we'd have some support. We knew he would have a good match with Deppen. And the second thing was, well, Makabe going to go to round two. And uh, that'll, that'll, you know, it's still not the final, but it is what it is because in fact, the final was uh, the final had pretty much been decided coming into night one. So
1: on including, including the winner and all that, or uh,
2: no, no. Okay. So on Fr- on Friday, when we walked into the building, this was the general sentiment. The general sentiment was that the final was going to be, uh, AC Mack, O'Shea Edwards, uh, Parnell, and Kevin Koo. That was that was the feeling. That was what that was what the plan was. And um, at the end of the night on Friday night, we went and we had a little booking meeting on the side, and we all started talking. And uh, it really wasn't even because the Koo and Iggy match was disappointing. It was because everybody was talking about Maccabe and Deppin. <laughs> so, right. it, like, like that was the match that everybody was talking about. I'll take credit and, for that. And, like, as it, it, you know, we, we're, you know, we're, t- like, we just sort of decided this sucks. Uh, I know ku would do well in this final, but Makabe, it, it felt like we would have been missing, we would have been making a mistake for him not to go in. And AC had to go in uh, for storytelling purposes. And we felt strongly that O'Shea and Parnell had to as well. So it just sort of was a situation where, where Coup, um was just the odd person out and it sucked. And I hated it both as his friend and as somebody who's a huge backer of his career and thinks he's super talented and, and crazy underrated. But uh, it felt like the right call. Um, that's one thing
0: um i, I interrupt you really. that's one thing that makes me really upset about the fact that i found out eventually that kevin Koo. and i'm i'll do spoiler don't don't listen to this if you if you're just like kayfabe fan or whatever but like finding out that kevin Koo was involved in like the ownership or whatever of sup was like kind of a bummer for me because he's really good and i think he deserves a lot more respect and like should be a guy who's in conversations about being in Bola this year. Unfortunately, he's not. I think Daniel McCabe should also be in Bola this year. Jake Parnell also should be in Bola this year, and they're all not. Um, is that like? I think that unfortunately, because he's because people know that he's part of the SUP management team, they think that like he's getting pushed because of that. But like, he's a really great wrestler. Like Kevin me, Koo is let, so. Let me good. tell you
2: some about. Let me tell you something about Koo this guy lobbies against his
1: own interests
2: so often that I want to kill him. Right. Like Like, I I can, like I can tell that watching sup, like he does, he really does not care. The the, the number of times that I have had to be like, no, you are not doing this is astounding. You know, like from uh, like, uh, you know, I want to open the show and lose in three minutes. I'm like, no, (laughs) like, this is, this is is not an argument, you know, like, he he books like 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 the sub team. You know we've got a team of uh, of people involved, obviously. But you know it, it, and and I by no means have veto power over anything any more than anybody else does. Although we're such a close knit team that pretty much if anybody's uncomfortable with something, it's not happening. But 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 if anything he doesn't take advantage of the fact that he's involved in creative itself enough, okay? I
0: know.
2: I like, know. like he, if anything, he is unselfish to a fault. And, and let me tell you something. They did, him and Dom did that futures match with IFHY where they put over those kids huge and had a really good match with those kids. God, uh,
0: fuck, who, damn, who, that match who did?
2: Who did not do well the year before in the same format. And they did that on the fly, on no notice. We booked that like 10 minutes before the show started. You know, So that's the kind of guys these guys are. Like That's the kind of guy Kevin Koo is. And actually, if you set aside that match with Iggy, which just didn't click, and you just look at his other three matches this that weekend, he had as good a weekend as anybody because yeah. that IFHY tag was really good. The match with Parnell in the second round, I thought was a really good match. And uh, the match with B-Boy was awesome. So he, he had a really good weekend. But having said that, we just made the, we, we, we felt, and, and honestly, to tell you the truth, what, what, more or less happened is we ended up with the final that we originally would have had, had Quack and Bush never been booked because that's probably, that probably would have been the final four had Quack never been booked. So we go back to that final four. So then, uh, you know, I've said this before publicly. So, uh, this isn't really a secret, but, um, I go back to the hotel every year and I listen to what people are talking about. And I usually don't even talk to them that much. I just listen to what people are talking about because I want to know what people are talking about. And what everybody was talking about was Macabe and Deppin. And, you know, what was really fascinating to me was it wasn't just the internet hardcore fans that were super into this match. I had people that were sitting in the bleachers on that show. Um, i had people that were sitting with the georgia wrestling the old guard of georgia wrestling that hate everything the shit on everything who were like this guy's amazing i there were there were people that were sitting in the bleachers with next to casual fans who were like wow this guy this guy's incredible you know and i think it's just the realism right in 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 this area there's still a market for the sort of credibility that a lot of wrestling doesn't have anymore and Makabe has that credibility he just simply does and um i i as i'm listening to this i'm like huh this is this is interesting and uh you know we'll tie this back around to brad stutz so i can get canceled forever um you know stutzy you know i had talked to stutzy the week before on the phone and i had told him then i had said i think when night one is over you're probably going to say to me either o'shea or ac should win That was my thought. Uh, And uh, he said, Dylan Hales asked me the question. I said, what question? And he said, you know what question. (laughs) Uh, And I said, okay, uh, who should win the 2019 Scenic City Invitational? And simultaneously, we looked at each other in the eye. uh, And at the exact same time, and I had not expressed this publicly at all. I didn't express this in the booking meeting that I had earlier with Scott and Matt. We both said, Daniel fucking McCullough simultaneously and i i knew then that i was gonna have to lobby matt and scott the next day because it 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 wasn't so much that like and i respect the hell out of brad and i think um by the way i think even if you think he's the biggest creep or terrible person in the world which he's not but even if you think that you you can't you can't
1: deny you can't deny brad's mind for for wrestling you (laughs) you 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 cannot i i like it would be
0: like if you decided to say that like you're not a good man if you like eating pussy, and then you said that Ric Flair is a terrible wrestler because of that,
2: <laughs> God. right? The, but but this is, uh, I'm not. Is that not a like the but, same argument? Uh, uh, sure, but the, yes, the the, the the like it, it hear, hearing that from Stutsi d- did matter to me, right? Um, and what ma- but it it. it it may not have mattered as much if I wasn't getting the other feedback, right? But getting the other feedback and having that as almost an exclamation point, I thought to myself, man, this, and and like, and, you know, if anybody knows Stetsy and knows his taste, macave is not on paper somebody you would necessarily even think he'd be into. You know, he'd never even seen a single match of his coming into the weekend. And he was walking around the, the Saudi Daisy Gymnasium for the, the two days, just muttering under his breath, this guy's a fucking artist. Like, like, it was actually kind of funny, because he'd never seen him at all, and that was his conclusion. But, um, and it, by the way, he wasn't the only person who said that. I, I heard more than a couple very, very cynical figures in uh, wrestling uh, <laughs> around this area who were like, this guy's incredible.
1: That's a, the kind of, that's a kind of validation that i think like you know on some level a lot of us look for because like i think everyone that's like on on like on here right now would agree that at minimum daniel makabe is like a top 10 wrestler in the world and you know probably higher but yes yeah. yeah so so to sit here and get that from these fans who did their like very first exposure to dan and not even in dan's comfort zone necessarily because remember in 321, he's been sort of this heel ace for the for the for the for a good majority of the time where 321 have been putting their stuff on YouTube and he's been getting his exposure. So now you're getting Dan and you're not even getting Dan at his full powers, I think. And I think that <laughs> I think I think that is like the biggest testament in itself of like Dan and how well he comes across.
2: A hundred percent. And I think it I think it sort of puts the lie to a lot of the idea that I think some people have made that like criticisms that some people have made Um, even people who are fans of his who have been like, oh, but is he too niche? After SCI, I don't think that's true. Like, I I, 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 I get why people would say that, but I just don't think it's true, you know? Well,
0: to be Uh, fair, you're talking about, like, to a certain segment of the fan, and uh, Dylan, this is why I'm, like, eternally jealous of you, is that you live in the area of people who respect wrestling, no matter what. You know, so it's like, To me, I'm like, I don't give a fuck what these yokels have to say about wrestling. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what's good. But in the South, there is a segment of people who are, like, not even casual wrestling fans. They're just, like, barely wrestling fans. But they will respect legitimate wrestling. And that's what Dan brings. So, you know, I get what you're saying. But there is, like, when people make that argument, they're talking about, like, the kind of, like, they're honestly talking about people like me they're talking about coastal elites who only watch WWE and they're not going to get into Dan, you know, like those are the people who are not going to appreciate because in the South, for the most part, there's a lot of people who understand wrestling, you know, all,
1: all, all I'm hearing right now was the argument that Zack Sabre Jr. should have won the 2016 SCI. <laughs> that's I, all I'm for sure. right now.
2: Here, here's what I'll say. I think he actually, I think Dan has a weird charisma. That's hard to put your finger on. And uh, actually like Brian Jesse- Danielson, jesse jesse butler righteous jesse said this on commentary and i actually think i think he's dead on he said it in the depot match he said something like makabe is like like watching him is like watching a movie that you have to watch twice to fully get it right like so you you get it to a degree the first time but then as, as like as it unfolds more you see the genius so i had a fan come up to me um and say to me uh at sci prom which that's you want to talk about something that I can't talk about at all, but, uh,
0: <laughs> that's not for tonight. He, he,
2: he, he came up to me and he said, when the match with Deppin and Makabe started, I thought you guys were crazy. I was like, this isn't going to work at all. And by the end, I was like, this guy is fucking incredible. <laughs> you know. And I, I think that's kind of the effect he has on people where people watch his, watched his matches at scenic city, almost like they were watching an art installation, you know? And I don't mean that as a criticism. Like it, it, it was, and, and not just the hardcore fans. That like, there were people in the bleachers who were like, "Oh, wow!" Like, you know, I had uh, not to be too pejorative here, but I had a very rednecky fan who's a regular at the shows come up to me during his match with Slim, and was how like,
0: "How redneck was he?" No, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he was like, "This guy's amazing. Where's he from?" Blah, blah. So, so, it it's weird how it works, but it does. But in, in any in any case, um, so that's how we got to the final and you know, the reality is we, 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 it was crazy. I got into the car with Matt on the way to futures on Saturday morning and he goes, I know we're supposed to talk about this with Scott, but, uh, who do you think should win this thing? And I said, "Akave should win it. And he goes, yeah, I was thinking the same thing.
0: <laughs> and I was like, and I know, okay. I know Matt likes Dan, you know, and like, I was,
2: I was, yeah. I, I was like, oh, that's great i was like that's great you know so then we got and the futures happen the show ends and we have a little booking meeting and we're on we're on the uh, road the three of us myself matt scott hensley we're going to the pizza hut and saudi daisy which is every bit as bad as you'd expect it to be by the way and we we uh are in the car and i say scott scott says well who do you guys think should win and i said no 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 who do you think should win and he goes Wakabe And I was like, I was blown away. I did that's, not expect that's... that. And, <laughs> God. And, and, and I was like, wow, we're not going to have any argument at all. Now what's interesting about this is, and in a way this is like heartbreaking to be public about, but I, I said I would be super honest on this show and I intend to be. Um. It, <sighs> what, what does hurt a little bit is for months, the debate was between O'Shea and Parnell. For months. That was the debate. And and honestly, I think all of us were super torn. We 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 liked the argument for both. We we, you know, at various points, we were like, okay, O'Shea probably is who we're gonna go with. And then like the next day we'd be like, Yeah, but what about Warhorse? And we could do you know, and, and
1: that was really sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like like uh, hearing you say that is so funny because Going into it and like looking how the tournament was shaking out, I probably would have said AC Mac, but only because yeah. I was thinking in the way of AC Mac is already terrorizing action and sub scenic city and action are all really interwoven at this point. And having someone like AC who's already terrorizing action right now, terrorizing Matt Griffin and coming in and terrorizing terrorizing this other place where Matt Griffin where Matt Griffin is doing work like just was the story in my head. So hearing you talk about Jake and O'Shea were the guys that you were dead set on is really fascinating.
2: Well, here's what's interesting about that, Quentin. Um, What if I told you that up until Dan got hurt in a freak situation on a bridge and his match with slim, by the way, uh, 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 up until that, AC was actually supposed to be eliminated first in the final. (laughs) The, 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 um, the reasons you outlined are precisely the reasons why, by the way, we, I was really concerned. I was really concerned about not telling the same story that we did the year before with Corey Hollis. I was really concerned about not telegraphing it that badly. And I also felt very, very strongly that while eventually we need a heel to win, um, I felt very, very strongly that AC had had so much that having him win would just be almost too on the nose. If that right. makes sense, like he's undefeated in sup, he's the action champion. Like he's pretty. He he won the rumble in the, the cheapest way possible. He won the scramble to even get in the rumble in the cheapest way. Like it 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 would have been just too on the nose. Um, and in a sense, I actually think AC would got more from losing than he would have from winning. To tell you the truth, yeah, totally. Uh, Because of the kind of character that he is, that's not to say he won't win in the future. But uh, for because of the, and I think AC Max is genius, by the way. I think he's incredible. I don't think there's anybody like him in wrestling, and I think it's a disgrace that more places don't book him. Would you say that
0: he's a wrestling genius?
2: I would say that he's a wrestling genius. There's a few of them
0: that we had this weekend, yeah.
2: Right, but uh, but I, I I'm super super high on AC, but it just didn't. You know, we entertained the idea. Sure. Like we did for everybody, but more or less, he was always sort of the decoy in the final. And, you know, you know, I'll just say it flat out. Originally, the final was supposed to basically go like this. It was supposed to be, uh, AC, uh, you know, try, you know, hides out in the corner. Eventually somebody tries to tag him in. He goes in the ring, Realizes he's against O'Shea, backs out, tries to walk away, and you get your Jaden and Marco spot, and they walk him back to the ring, and he gets sacrificed, you know, right away, done. Uh, then you get to a situation where Makabe and Parnell team up to take down O'Shea because he's the big guy. They know they can't do it by himself. O'Shea gets eliminated basically two-on-one, and then we go ten minutes with Jake and Macabe, right? Yeah. And it comes full circle to the match that really got Dan booked in yeah. Scenic City, which was the Southern Underground Pro Match. So that was the idea. That was where we. That was what we had decided on on Saturday at our booking meeting. And then, of course, everything changed just a couple hours later. Wait, <laughs> Dylan, got-
0: So you're saying that the SCI final was going to have a callback to the greatest call in the history of wrestling when Jake Parnell turned Dan turned McCauley out? out. Yes.
2: That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh man! Uh, and uh, and I'm sure that somebody will tie that line into my support of Brad Stutz. Yes. So I need to be, I need to be very very careful how I handle <laughs> I'm it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But the uh, no 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 no. Uh, but uh, no, like that was like the original idea, and then
1: he gets hurt, and uh, we got to call an audible on the field. That's wrestling. So, I mean. So the so the audible happens, and this is why I think Dan's tournament takes a weird turn because obviously obviously the injury, but now Dan is in this role in front of this audience that's hit, that's taken to him. Well, he's not exactly like the valiant white meat baby face that someone like Jaden like J like Jaden Newman would be or something like that. So you get this guy whose role has been very much blurred lines, but people like him coming out and doing this valiant baby face. I'm going to fight through the pain. I'm going to fight through the injury angle. And I'll be honest with you, another really gutsy move because he actually comes out and gets a super strong reaction, something that I wasn't expecting. When Dan first comes out for the final, he do- I-, I think he barely gets any reaction just based on how the VOD came across. I think no one really reacts to Dan. And the angle happens, and Dan comes back out, and the place erupts. It's the loudest the place has been the entire the entire weekend, pretty much. And the crowd erupts for Dan's win. Were was there any apprehension? Was there any fear when you were coming coming up with that on the fly because of the crowd's unfamiliarity with Dan up to that point? No,
2: and 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 I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you why. So first of all. We gave Dan the option to not wrestle, right? Uh, we had a, a, para, a, a paramedic, uh, uh, you know, who was there. Um, what exactly happened to Dan
1: too before we, before
2: we get into well, that? Well, more or less, his ear almost got ripped in half. Uh, it, it was it was on a bridge uh, in the Slim J match. I believe it was the second German suplex in that match, um, and uh, they actually had about two or three more minutes called. They had to cut some stuff because of it. Uh, which is a shame because the match was real good, and it probably would have been even better had they been able to get everything else in. But to be uh, fair,
0: I've heard the rest of the match, and I don't think that it was. It. I think that the match was good enough as is. I don't think that what they were missing was necessary.
2: No, I. I, I don't. I don't necessarily either. But I. But my point is, you always want it. Like uh, you know, you always want an artist to uh to They'll see to, it through. To see it through. Yeah. But the you know so. the, 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 his, it was just, it kind of ground, I guess it, it grinded against the canvas in an awkward way and it got ripped. Uh, and it was a pretty bad tear. Went up into his canal, came down all the way down almost to the tip of the earlobe. Had that happened, he would have had two earlobes and, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Papa Sobro who did the, uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, medical workforce in the back talk about uh, earning your sponsorship by the way uh, he he was I think he didn't want Dan to go back out to be honest uh, but you know we, we talked about it and you know it was a tough situation because we'd already really played the scramble card so we couldn't go come up there's no good way to come up with another alternate and um. You know, I, I I thought about it and was like, I guess we could have the winner of Ison and B-Boy. But that feels dishonest. Like um, so we were kind of in a dual contingency plan situation of, OK, if he can't go, do we go with a triple threat? And if so, how do we do it? Um, and who wins? You know, uh, and and honestly, I have no clue who would have won. We did because it didn't even get that far. Uh, and I'm glad that we didn't get that far because it was already brutal deciding between – because realistically, I strongly feel that I- any of those four people in the final could have won. And I strongly feel in particular that that O'Shea, Warhorse, and, and, and Dan, any of them would have been the right call. I really believe that in my gut. But just for different reasons, they would have been the right call. Um, and uh, I – You know, we didn't get that far because Dan said we could do it. We talked about ways to disguise it, and uh, and how to figure it out as best we could. Um, We laid out a scenario. Uh, The scenario was partially based on the old uh, Kerry Von Erich Jerry Lawler match from Super Clash, where you know Kerry's got his arm cut up already because he's high and gigs himself on accident, and then they have to work the entire match around it. Uh, Dan was not high when his ear was hurt by the way, folks. But, uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, we were like, he comes out with the hood, he gets hit from behind and we go from there and then we just have him come back and fight through. The only difference was I had met, I, I'll say it again, I'd mentioned to Brad Stutz the idea again, he was not working the show in any capacity other than the fact that he's my friend and he's somebody whose opinion I trusted. And he said, um, because at that time the order of the eliminations had stayed the same. And he goes, and he, he said that can't happen. AC has to be last because he's the heel. And, uh, we went over it. Uh, Stutzy was absolutely right about that. I think had it been, had it come down to Jake and partner, uh, and Makabe at the end, it would not have worked the same. Um, and we went, we went that route. AC was, uh, The last person in the ring as the heel, as the guy who cheated and done almost nothing to win the scramble the year before and the rumble earlier this year. And really, in this tournament, he'd done the minimal possible and cheated this whole way through. And I I knew I knew Dan was going to get a huge reaction. I had zero doubt in my mind at all. I wasn't even I there was not even one percent of me that was worried about it. A because I knew how quickly he'd become a favorite to the hardcores the night before and B because AC Mac is so hated yeah that uh, that that legitimately almost anybody could have come through that curtain and probably gotten a good reaction i don't know i don't know they would, would have gotten as good a reaction but let's put it this way have we done the same angle with Jake or with O'Shea who are also very very over baby faces and i think actually both got some of the bigger reactions of the tournament as well i think it would have also worked it just Makabe was the guy. And, you know, I've said this, you know, I kind of alluded to this on Twitter when we made the decision. And as I was thinking about it on Friday night, you know, my thought process was, you know, I've been on record saying I think he's the best wrestler in the world. If the best wrestler in the world comes to your tournament, does it make any sense for him to lose? Not really. Uh, You know, like it, it, it just felt like the right decision, but also, The little speech that that he gave at the end, you know, Scenic City has had kind of a different winner every year, a different kind of winner every year. There's some overlap you can find with certain guys, but I feel like every year has been a little bit different. You know, with Joey Lynch, he was a hometown guy like Gunnar Miller, but it was also about the long arc and the long story for him, um, more so than it even was about the fact that he's a hometown guy. Gunner was the hometown hero. Jimmy Rave was the veteran who sort of got everything established out of the gate. Matt Riddle was the biggest independent star maybe in the world when he won. Like, everybody had a little bit of a different story. Where I think Maccabee's story is, A, he was out of the blue. Nobody really, I think, expected him to win. You know, and like, I, I he's not really a true underdog in the sense that he's not, like, Makabe is like, in the NCAA tournament, when you've got a mid-major who went twenty-seven and three, and everybody's like, "But they didn't play anybody," and then and then and, and then they go on a run and just like yeah,
1: the, yeah, then VCU winds up making yes. it to the Elite Eight.
2: <laughs> yes, like that's basically what he is, right? He's he's he, he's not he's not truly an underdog because if you're paying attention, you know how good he is. But he's an underdog in the sense that a lot of people aren't paying attention. And the other thing that was really important was sort of, I think, spelled out in his little speech at the end, which is, he's one of us. This whole tournament is about a bunch of super hyper internet wrestling nerds who come across from all over the country so, and, and all different kinds. People who a lot of people don't like, people who a lot of people uh, think are annoying, People who, uh, you know, a a, a lot of people, uh, you know, don't like their particular wrestling taste or whatever, but the, the SCI is a demilitarized zone for these geeks every year, myself included, by the way, I don't even use the term geek as a pejorative term. Right. Um, and that's what it is. And people come and they show up and we try to put on good wrestling shows and have like a good, like good communion, good community around it. Um, and Makabe is one of us. He's one of these people. He's a guy who's watching random matches at, on IWTV at 2 a.m. because he <laughs> wants to watch them. You know what I mean? Like, it makes sense for him to be a winner of the Scenic City Invitational. It just does. And, I like, it is gutsy in a sense, I guess. But I'm going to be honest. It really didn't feel gutsy at the time. It just felt like the right decision. Like I've had a bunch of people come to me afterward and say that it was gutsy. And to me, it's just like, yeah, maybe so, but it just felt like the right decision at the time.
1: Was, was part of Dan winning was the idea a little enticing for you. Um, at least like someone that's so high on Dan as being one of the tippy top elite wrestlers in the world. Was it a little enticing for you to have this chance to be like, man, maybe we can be that neck, that, that next stepping stone for day and to get the breakout and get the bookings that he deserves after that. Was that part of the thinking in that process?
2: Yes, that's always a part of the thinking. So the number one reason that I'm involved in wrestling is that. I'm not I'm involved in wrestling. First of all, that's how I got involved. I got involved literally because people who were in the business noticed that I knew a bunch of that I was early on a bunch of people, right? That like, and sometimes you guess wrong, but sometimes you guess
1: right. Yeah, you know? like you know, not to like you know, not to give you too much credit here, but like, like you've been ahead of the curve on like a lot, a lot of people. Is the point like when you were getting ushered in to the um politics to the politics and, and the inner workings of wrestling, like you were right, you're right on the head on Fred Yehai, Jeff Cobb, Timothy Thatcher, and all those things. Like like historically, you, like, a lot of people, you were just. You've, you've been there so I, I got I got it right there yeah I, and that was really
2: how I got in As people noticed that like they noticed that you know and again, you guess wrong. I've been wrong on a lot of people too but if you guess right enough times, that's what people give you credit for <laughs> and I guessed right on some pretty big guys and um you know, because of that, uh, that's how I got in and now I'm in a position where, I can kind of put, you know, my money where my mouth is on some of this stuff, right? I can say, okay, it's not just I think this guy is one of the best wrestlers. I'm actually going to book him, and we're going to put him in a position to showcase that to the world. And you know, it's look, it's risky. You know, I mean, like, Makabe is I don't I wouldn't say he's a total unknown, but he's he's not one of the biggest stars in independent
1: wrestling by any stretch and, and and a lot of it is too with dan it's just like geographically
2: it's hard almost all
1: yeah like geographically it's, it's so hard it's so hard for dan to get the same breakout that you would that you would have been getting from your cobs dashers and even yay a hundred percent and like that that's one of the things like
2: you know when we first booked him it was like I remember telling, him, I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to cover all your flight. Will you do this as it's, as it happens, we did, but I, I, I didn't know, like, I really didn't know, but I wanted him on the shows. And I was like, I'll, I was willing to find sponsors or do whatever I could so that he didn't have to pay out of pocket for all that. I mean, full disclosure, like he roomed with me seeing I literally got a, a, a room in the hotel this year solely so that, we didn't have to take any money out of the budget and he could have a bed to sleep in. You know what I mean? Like, I like, I, I, really wanted, like, I, 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 it's not just him, though. Like, I wanted Parnell to be positioned as a guy that would have potential to break out. I wanted O'Shea to be pos- positioned as a guy who had a potential to break out. I wanted Ison to have potential. Like, all those guys to me, like, and then some. I could keep going down the list. Jade and AC, whoever, like, that's why I do this. That's literally why I did it. Like, a lot of people who are involved in promoting and booking shows, they're in it because they somehow think they're going to make money off of it. Well, I know I'm not going to make money off of it. Or they're in it because they want to be, this is very common down south, especially. They want to be like the king of their own little fife. Like, I could give a shit about that. That is, that is literally like, I have, that has zero appeal to me at all. I am in wrestling entirely so that. I can help guys who I think deserve it break out and get to the next level and maybe get SmackDown comps in like 10 years. Like that, like that is why I am in wrestling. And by the way, just to be brutally clear about this, I'm not saying that I'm some sort of altruistic, benevolent white knight for for uh, you know for the hidden gems of wrestling. Make no mistake, this feeds my ego too. I like like I, I think. I happen to think I'm good at it, but also it does feed my ego. This is the part that I find satisfying on my own terms. Do I want to help guys who actually deserve it? And is that a part? Absolutely. But is it also to serve my own interest? hundred percent. And anybody who says it's not is a liar, you know, like, you, like I, I, absolutely. That's a part of it, but that's why I do this. So yes. Um, I, I, I want, I want, I want, dan to blow up and i hope more places book him off of this um and i hope he continues to get bigger and bigger opportunities because i really do believe he deserves it i really really think he's an asset to any show he's on and i don't think there's anybody quite like him in independent wrestling
1: with all with all this being said and um probably you know just naturally i think we're getting to that getting to the end of the show here and obviously without Pro- probably, I would think so. <laughs> um, but in the five installments of the SCI we've gotten so far, and I'm not, and I again, like I understand your position. I'm not asking you to rank these things. I'm not telling. I'm not asking you to tell me which one is the worst one. But does it feel a little weird, or can you understand where people are coming from? Where if they talk about the scenic city invitational 2019? That this one felt like a little bit of a disappointment, or the worst one since, I guess, the original original one in twenty fifteen.
2: Um, I mean, if people if people felt that way, I I could.
1: This, this this isn't some like common sentiment I'm seeing either. Just um just here just here and there from other reactions I've seen from the SCI. Not like definitely not the widespread opinion.
2: Sure, sure, sure. sure. I, I've not seen that as a widespread opinion, but I wouldn't think it was invalid either if somebody said it, right? Like, um, I think to a degree, this was always going to be a year where the risk we were taking were going to work for some people and not for others, right? Like, I I just think it was inevitable that that was going to happen. So uh, my opinion coming into the weekend was that this was going to be the most polarizing tournament we'd ever done. I I, I thought it was inevitable. And that was even before we had all the controversy and trying to figure out how to to rework the final and everything. That was my feeling coming into the weekend is that it was going to be the most polarizing. Um, So I think what's weird about it to me is uh, I, I felt like I had some people tell me that they thought Night 2 was the best show we've ever had, which I absolutely don't agree with. <laughs> but I I thought about it more after the fact, and I guess I could kind of see why people thought that, because I think Night 2 this year is probably the most obvious full variety show we've ever done, right? Where like, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a really good show. It's, and, it's, and, it, and it's clearly, like, if you're somebody who believes in that true variety show of wrestling, I think Night 2 this year... Was almost certainly the most SCI has ever hit that. I, I like, um, so I could I could see that. Um, as far as the tournament as a whole, I think by the nature of the risk we were taking this year, this tournament was probably always going to be a tournament that some people were going to watch and be like, okay it was good, but it, it wasn't as good as the stuff they've done before. Um, and I think the only way we probably, that that probably could have been changed would have been to do different things, booking that I think ultimately would have been worse for the tournament long term. So it, it is what it is. You know, I don't get it. Now if, if somebody says they thought the shows were outright bad, yeah, that sucks. Like that, that's a, that's a criticism that, uh, you hate to hear, although people are welcome to make it and I'll listen to it. If somebody says it's the worst of the five, I, I could see that. I, I don't agree with it, but I could see it. Um, you know, I ranking them is tough even for me. You know, I, I, I really don't know. Like, uh, I've, I've gone back and forth on myself on what I think is the, uh, the best tournament or the worst or the best show the tournament's ever done or the worst, I think the longer you're in the game, the more the expectations are, and you know, my big talking point coming into the tournament this year was, expect the unexpected, and I think if you expected the unexpected this year coming in, and you came in with the understanding that we were going to do some things that were a little bit different, I think you were probably okay with the way things turned out. If you were expecting something that was more traditional and, frankly, more conservative, which is historically SCI, as I believe, been one of the most conservatively booked shows um, in the country, then you probably weren't as high on it. And that's okay. I, I, uh, you know, As long as people don't hate it, I'm fine with it. I thought the shows were very, very good. Uh, I thought Night One was a good show that probably could have been better with some very minor editing and and i take full responsibility for that i thought night two was a very very good show that probably was better than it had any right being given all the the hurdles and issues that came up during and around it so you know i i would guess that that sentiment is pretty close to the consensus but uh but i don't know but um I'm more or less fine with how anybody feels about it, as long as it's an honest assessment. I don't want any syncophants and I don't want people who are just, like, shitting on it to troll. Uh, I, I just want honest assessments. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, okay, let's be... Let's do honest assessment, because this is, like, something I've said to you, and I don't know how you feel about this, but as where you're at now, in the, like, the echelon of the or in the situation when it comes to SCI, this year, I won't say it felt like it was definitely in no way what I would say it's the worst year, but I would say that, like, comparatively, this is the year where the booking outshined the wrestling. And it felt like the year where, I hate to say this, but it feels like you're the most it. Like, you are everything that comes down to it. And I know Matt's involved and I know there's other people involved in a lot of ways, but it does feel like this is like primarily your show. So where would you like, I don't know what would be your argument against or for, or what would be your like excuse for the idea that this year felt like unfortunately the booking was amazing, but the wrestling, the delivery on the stories didn't quite match. Like at the same level of the the story that was being told on paper didn't wasn't able to be executed in ring.
2: Um I'm not sure I agree with the premise. Like I I might agree with the premise. I'd actually have to think about it a little harder than I could than I can on the fly right this second. But 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 here here's what I would say. Um, a, it's definitely, it's definitely a team effort. I could see why people associate it more with me, especially given who won. But like, I, it, it's definitely a, a team effort, and no decision is made by any one party, uh, for the most part, with very minor exceptions. Um, as far as the wrestling not being as good, I think that might be true, but. Not, I like, I have mixed feelings even about that.
1: I, right? think, it's super like, gra- I think it's super glaring. Like, to me, yeah. the example that stands out, other than like Ku versus Iggy, which like unanimously we've said was like a little disappointing, but something like JD Drake versus O'Shea Edwards, I think was done in a way where like it's a big, the big Hoss guys. And I like the, no- like, the novelty of that, especially JD being such a big scalp for O'Shea. But even then, the execution didn't feel good. Watching that,
2: yeah, that match could have been better. I didn't think it was bad. Uh, it could have been better. I think that's fair. Um, I think there. I think there's a lot of matches on night one that could have been better. I thought Jaden probably should have taken two more minutes of offense versus AC, for example. Uh, I thought um, the finish to Billy and Marco was just wrong. It just didn't work. Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of things on night one in particular that I think could be correctly criticized. Um, On the other hand, you know, there was a lot of people, and this was not necessarily, this was interesting. There was a lot of people who thought last year's night one, the wrestling was underwhelming. Uh, That was a a strong consensus last year, actually. Um, So that's interesting to me. Um, There were many people last year who said that uh so I that 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 makes you wonder, is this like a night one thing or 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 I don't know that's that's something to consider or think think about. Um, I felt that on night one, I thought really half of the matches delivered at the level that I wanted them to are better. And I thought a couple of them, didn't and then I thought there was like one that just was sort of like right at me, the mean so to speak um, night two I thought was a lot stronger um, some of it may have been a byproduct of wanting to tell stories you know and and some of it like like I'll be honest with you uh, AC is a great example I don't really want AC Mac to have good matches to be honest um, I, I now He's had some really good ones. I liked his match with Austin Theory a lot from last year. I liked his match with Kurt Stallion a lot from this year. But as a heel, uh, and particularly as the kind of heel that he is, if AC Max is having a great wrestling match, I actually think he's failing as a character. Um, you know, I now that might be a disagreement that we have, and I'm not saying he can never have a great match, but that's my sort of personal opinion on AC and his particular wrestling. So, um, you know, if AC and Jaden had had a barn burner, I think it might have been more appealing to sort of like internet reviewing types, yourselves included, and really myself included from, say, a few years ago. But I think it would have actually served the purpose of the final a lot worse. And I don't know that the final works as well. So it to a degree... Some of that stuff gets sacrificed. Like I feel like you you sacrifice a little bit of that on um, on the altar of storytelling, you know, I mean, O'Shea and and uh, and and Drake is kind of another example. It's like you want these guys to have a hoss fight and for the match to stand out, but also you know that Ison and Tremont is on next, and they're gonna have the kind of match that they're gonna have you really can't have two of those matches back to back and they you've got to, they've got to be distinct in their own. Right. Could O'Shea and Drake have been a better match? Probably so. Yeah. Uh, although I didn't think it was bad by any means, but if, if in order to have a better match, they had been closer to Ison and Tremont, I actually think it would have been a net negative. So there's all sort of calculations there. I mean, I could see a compelling argument that this was the worst of the years from an in-ring perspective. Um, I don't know if I believe that, but I think it's—I think it's—I think it's i think its uh, I think it's, a, its within reason. Like, I don't think it's an outrageous opinion to have. Um, I also don't know that I think this is the best book tournament, although I've been told by a bunch of people
1: that they think it was. Well, uh, look, I I still think it's 2016, but like I, I get I get what people are going like 20 like 2019.
2: I think 2019 was the I I'll say this 2019 might have been the best book tournament from the perspective of the tools we had and what we did actually worked because like I think with a lot of people like um you look at the you look at this year's tournament and there's not that one independent name. Who's like a Matt Riddle or a Joey Janela or a Chris hero. Like there's names in the tournament, but there's nobody like that. And I think because of that, there's sort of a, a, like there's an intrinsic pressure of, okay, what are you going to do? That is going to sort of supplement for the fact that you don't have a PCO in the tournament. Right. And What we did was try to tell it was try to book it in a way where the booking would sort of offset that we didn't have that. And I think ultimately that worked. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you could say you could say the 2016 tournament was booked better and I wouldn't necessarily argue with that. You, although also, I think you could fairly say that the worst match in tournament history was in the 2016 tournament. So
1: Probably, yeah.
2: <laughs> like, because like, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think there was anything this year that was even close to as bad as that match. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I think where I, I, one thing that I found as both a fan and a member of the team is that there's really not a, a strong Consensus on what the best and the worst scenic city is. Uh, I know people, even in my family, even in the Hales clan, there is widely divergent views on what the best tournament is and isn't. Uh, so, uh, and you know what? To me, that's a positive. Oh, you're yeah, about to say like that's that's a great thing. <laughs> like that's a good problem to have. Like uh, you know, uh, I can live with that. Uh, I will say one thing about this year. Um, I think Deppin and Macabe was clearly the best match. And I think every other year, like even though you've got sort of these iconic matches that stand out and, you know, uh, I'm on record as saying that I believe the 2016 final is the best match we've ever done. And I doubt anything will ever top it, to be honest with you. But like, I do feel like every other year there's been at least some dissent. Whereas this year I see like no dissent on that. Oh yeah. That's
1: like, I think even here, but it's totally clear to me
2: like there's almost total unanimity on that. Um, And and that's both a good and bad thing. And it's like, if the final had been, the irony is if the final, if Dan had not gotten hurt and the final had been booked the way it originally was, I think the final probably would have had potential to be the best match in tournament history. On the other hand, had the final not happened the way it had, I don't think the moments is good. You know, I just don't. So, uh it it wrestling is weird like that <laughs> you know like would it be
0: a good thing like i don't know i feel like the final the way it went was
2: was awesome I, and i don't know i i i think as a match like if you're judging it purely intrinsically in the ring if it had been the way we originally laid it out i think it would have been a better wrestling match
1: personally for me as far as like the wrestling front which again like it it was weird because I under I understood the circumstances, but with Jake and O'Shea um, going at it for like a major for the majority of it, and mostly going fifty fifty, it felt really weird even from an in ring merit standpoint. That even though I could appreciate like the pressure that's going on, and like the thing you're trying to juggle to figure everything out and hide certain things, but. personally I had like O'Shea and Jake didn't keep me interested or engaged for their portion of the match.
2: I actually thought they worked extremely well and they were in an impossible position and I, I think it speaks to how professional those guys are that they like everyone should book them because They adapted on the fly and did the best they could in a nightmare situation, right? And that's even, and also, it's gotta suck for them because even though it's a, it's a work. Let's be honest. When this guy gets hurt, if you're one of those guys, you gotta be thinking, oh wow, maybe I'll win this thing now. You know, not even to be an asshole, but like it's gotta enter your head, like, like maybe, maybe I'm on deck and I, you know, and and that wasn't gonna happen, obviously. And to be able to be professional enough to be like in a situation that's got to be mentally taxing and frustrating on multiple fronts to go out there and work as hard as they did. Cause they worked super hard. It, I, like to me, that's a great credit to them. I actually, to be totally honest with you, I actually thought their segment was very good. It was just an impossible position. Like you, you, there was, I don't think there was anything they could have done that was going to liven up the crowd at that point. Um, and, you know that just kind of is what it is but objectively as a wrestling match i actually think the final this year was considerably better than the final last year and uh i think it was probably better than the 2017 final to be honest which was like a really good version of a style of match that i don't love <laughs> right where like guys are just going in and doing all their stuff and i mean i love everybody who was in that final but i you know that's just that's just me. Um, uh, but, but the pay, but I guess, I guess what I would say is the moment at the end, to me was worth everything. I, I don't I, I, I would I would not trade anything for that moment at the end because I think it was an authentic wrestling moment. And if I could say one super strong thing about Scenic City this year, it's that if you look at night two, the things that we really wanted to be moments, I think all 100% worked. So we wanted the warhorse Surprise and Entrance to be a big moment. It, I think Beyond Dispute was. Like, I don't even think it's debatable that it was. Um, we wanted uh, Brett and B-Boy to be a big moment and have a big feel. I don't think there's any question that it did. Like, it, like maybe almost to a shocking degree. Um, we wanted the deal with Tremont who was actually hurt some on night one, which is part of the reason we had to protect him in that match, by the way. Uh, but we, we wanted the deal with Tremont and O'Shea the way that match started to come off as a big moment. I think it did. We wanted the main event and, and the finish in particular to come off as a big moment. I think it did. So I think on the four sort of big moments that were the hubs of night two, we were four for four. And um, you could argue that we weren't quite four for four on uh, night, uh, night one, and I think that would be fair but on night two, I think we, we more or less could not have done better in terms of the, the big moments at least.
1: All right, Timothy, do you have, um, do you have anything else to add here?
0: Nothing that we can get to within the next few minutes. <laughs> if we're perfectly honest. Um, but also nothing that I think really needs to get gotten into. Um, I think Quentin, or not Quentin, but uh, Dylan has been pretty open for the most part. Um, I think that for the most part, I'm pretty okay with what we've gotten into. I would say my final question would be, if everything's up in the air, I mean, why didn't you just have Alex Zane win the whole thing? feels like he should have been the guy. Um, (laughs) But that's not the real answer. He he probably should've. But I'm definitely
1: matter. I'm definitely in camp AJ Gray for twenty twenty.
0: Yes. Please. He feels like the man, even if me and him get into weird arguments on Twitter at this point. Um That's it for me. I don't have anything else really to get into. Quentin, I guess we can close out
1: Oh no, Dylan, I just want to, want to yeah. yeah. I just want to um I appreciate it. yeah, I think this is the first time that like directly You've come on and did a po- did a podcast with me since like psychology is dead probably? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, um so like we've done uh, we've done we don't know wrestling together and all that so thank you for coming on and, do- and doing this again. I always really like doing podcasts with you. Um anything you anything you want to plug obviously since you're a very very busy man?
2: Well, first of all, I respect the hell out of you guys like legitimately. Um I appreciate that you wanted me to come on I appreciate that you are even interested enough in the show and I appreciate that you actually asked like real questions and wanted real insight and didn't just go like didn't you know uh set me up for a bunch of self back patting uh and uh, <laughs> I try I, I tried to be as honest as possible and I don't really think I, I held anything back um I don't love that the show started off with uh, a 20-minute monologue on about me talking about Brad Stutz, but I'm sorry, uh,
0: but I, I just but, I felt but, like but, I but, had to get it out of the but, way.
2: But 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 I, I I actually understand why it did, and like I, I don't I don't feel badly about it. Uh, it is what it is, uh, and he is my friend, and if people don't like that, that's okay. Um, I I I get it. Uh, but, um. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I've always got stuff going on. You know, I work for IWTV. I think people should subscribe to it, Uh, and not just because I work there but because it's got a ton of cool stuff uh, in independent wrestling on. You find – there's always shows that have these sleeper bangers on there that you like – like Bro Keller versus Jaden Newman from the most recent primetime pro wrestling show, totally a low-key banger that probably a lot of people wouldn't watch. Like that's the kind of match you should go out of your way to watch. Like I'll,
1: I'll give if, them credit. I'll give them credit too because I think the um, layout has got has gotten really good. The formatting and how the um, site runs and how the app runs on the various um, apps all across everything. Like you guys putting a app on the on the iOS store is something that a lot of like I'm shocked that we haven't gotten more companies doing it. And I'm really glad to see the steps that IWTV has taken to be so accessible.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing for us. Um, it, you can get the app via the iOS store. You can get it via the Android store, the Google play store rather as well. Like I, everybody at least give IWTV a shot. I, I like, again, I work for the company. Obviously I'm shilling here, but I work for the company because I believe in it. And I think the quality of and, and, like, there's so many good independents out there that that are part of the service that have matches that are like, Zach Cooper versus Daniel McCabe from the Without a Cause show that just went up a couple days ago. Holy crap. Like, that match is so, so good. Full disclosure, I may have been sent that match in advance by young Zachary Cooper. But (laughs) nonetheless, (laughs) that match is incredible, and everybody should check that out. Like, it's just one of – it. like, that's – this is why I got into independent wrestling is because of like that sort of under the radar stuff where you can discover new guys. And IWTV is such as an incredible platform for it. So I'd appreciate, appreciate anybody listening to this, who's willing to give us their support. Uh, you can go to independent wrestling TV to check that out. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dylan Waco. That's D-Y-L-A-N-W-A-C-O. We've got our next Scenic City Invitational event, Tank Scenic City Throwdown, coming to Sail Creek High School on Saturday, October 26th. Already announced for that is Vordell Walker versus Chris Dickinson, which, my God. <laughs> what, the, uh, what the fuck? And, <laughs> and, and uh, Kurt Stallion versus Manders, who is another Ooh. guy that we didn't even talk about who came out of SCI Weekend is like, Another sort of ascendant figure. The Manders, new guy. Manders was very much the the fan favorite coming out of the weekend. And uh like like the, I those two matches like alone are psychotic. Like <laughs> by the way, they're very stupid in the sense of booking yourself into a corner because I have no clue how the hell we're going to determine winners of those matches but they—they they, uh, uh, everybody should check that out uh, you can get tickets for that at SCIwrestling.com you can follow us on Twitter at SCI tournament uh, You know, by the time this is out the action show I'm doing commentary for tomorrow will have probably already taken place so uh, you should check that out on IWTV 2 when it drops you can follow action at WrestleAction1 you can follow Southern Underground Pro at SUP underscore Graps so there's my uh my long long section
1: yeah you're you're a a busy guy gotta hit gotta hit all those boxes um manders i mean manders
0: feels like the closest thing that we have to a modern day goldberg honestly like the former (laughs) football player the charisma that he has everything about manders just is it's really working for me i'm a big fan
2: listen Listen, this is my last plug. Then I promise I won't say another word. Please, please, please. Go to the, go to the action wrestling section of IWTV. Watch the Scenic City Futures Showcase because it's under the action section. And watch the triple threat match with Manders, uh, Jake Garvin, now he's calling himself Narls Garvin, and yes. Zachary Cooper. Oh, my God. These, the, there's like 65, 70 people in the building. These guys, that might be the stupidest wrestling match I've ever seen. I, like, I called that show with Brick, and you talk about, you know, you hear these stories from the old days. Like, you hear wrestlers on shoots talk about it was a curtain sellout. I promise you, not like this match. Every single wrestler in the building was right. either in the, in the bleachers near us are hidden on the side back where commentary was where you couldn't see them are behind the tables. And they were literally flipping things over and throwing things in the air as the match was going on. Yes. It was beyond a show stealer. I've never seen anything quite like this. So everybody should watch that match.
0: Yeah. Everyone needs to check out Manders. He is the man I guess. Um, Quentin or Dylan. Thank you so much for getting in here you were talking about um you know or you were just plugging yourself You're Dylan Waco and it reminded me of uh, the Ted Bundy or Ted Kaczynski the Unabomber is getting like a re kind of like people are starting to look more into the Unabomber manifesto and appreciate what he was talking about anyways that's, that's not what we're talking about tonight um thank you so much for joining us I appreciate it very much um check out manders quentin what do you have to plug before we head out
1: nothing just go and follow this follow the podcast twitter account at qncr that's that's about it for us no more two episodes a week you're not getting any more (laughs) of that from us um so back to regularly scheduled programming next week uh and that's all for me Pick us off like we ain't kings, we don't mean shit to. Him.